0: Actually, if you could uh, push it back a little bit. Like, uh, other way. Other way. That's good. That's it. Shul Torah, Bo Hashem. Good to be back in Aventura. The Breslov Center, Bazat Hashem. We'll continue the series. Today we are up to uh, lecture number 41. Bo uh, Hashem, we. Uh, continuing to uh, get many many more people to not much become addicted to this lecture because each one is very different and uh, all because of a also because um, I usually forget these things uh, this uh, sure will have will go to a refresh them um, for uh Chaim, uh, time uh, 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 and Levana bat Sarah, bat Levana Dorish bat David ben and Dvorah uh, bat Mercedes Yuda ben Dvorah and all of Amishrael that I'm thinking of and uh, not thinking of
1: uh,
0: okay so we continue in the Mishnah the um, Mishnah <laughs> today is Gimel Tet. It's uh, three nine. So Mishnah Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai omers. nirze. ki ilu Translation Rabbi bar says one who walks on the road while reviewing a torah lesson and interrupts his review meaning someone is in a uh, walking around he's going in some direction and he's fulfilling the mitzvah that we have mentioned in the Torah twice one of them you mention every day twice in Shema Yisrael And uh, he's thinking about some Torah that he learned. He came to Ashir Torah, Musar, Ashir number 41. He's thinking the next day, what was this guy saying the whole time? Uh, And uh, he's thinking about some chidush. He's thinking about some insight. He's thinking about some alachai he's trying to understand. And he stops. Stops in the middle of the thought. Why does he stop? He's like, wow. Look at the trees. Look at the beautiful... Fields. So it says, and he exclaims, how beautiful is this tree, how beautiful is this plowed furrow?" Meaning, how beautiful is the creation. How beautiful is the creation. It's praising, the praising Hashem. Mitzvah. Gemara. Maser Brachot, page 58b, says when you see beautiful creations that Hashem made, you have to make a bracha. What's the Barachah when you uh, see beautiful things, like beautiful trees, for example? Baruch shekachalo be'olamo. Blessed is he who has such in his world, such beauty in his world. So yes. It's mitzvah. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is saying, him stopping, Akatu omer, it says in the Torah, He bears his guilt for his soul. He just put his life on the line. Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon, we just celebrated you. We had some hot dogs. We had some potatoes. We had some fun with you. Everybody loves Rabbi Shimon. Last couple of weeks already been learning about Rabbi Shimon. It's a little stricter than we know. I stopped my Torah thoughts. And I know my life. No, come on. I'll take him you're exaggerating a little bit no okay let's see so first uh, you should know that some say that the person who actually the tana who said this mishnah is not rabbi shimon bar yochai but rather rabbi yaakov rabbi, uh, rabbi yaakov um who was also a big, tzaddik, a big tana a big Tzaddik, but uh, there's a machloket of who actually said it so now I learned from my rabbi that is a stronger belief that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the one that said it. And the reason why is because it's in line with what he said in Gemara Masechet Brachot. If you remember, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I don't remember exactly, we talked about a big debate between Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Ishmael about what is really the purpose of life for the average person. Not just for uh, the big tzaddikim. Not for Rabbi Shimon. Not for Rabbi Ishmael. Say, what's the purpose of life for everyone? If you remember, this is what they said. This is Gemara Masechet Brachot, page 35B. Rabbi Ishmael Omer, since it's stated in a... Um, Deuteronomy, that this book of Torah shall never shall not depart from your mouth. It would be possible to think that obviously you're going to have these words. sometimes it's going to be in your mouth, sometimes not. So what, what does it mean? So Abishma is saying that all of the spare time you have, other than the time you're working, all the spare time you have, you learn Torah. You go work. Go do what you got to do. You uh, work in a car shop. You sell cars. You build buildings. You make movies. Whatever you do. Go do what you got to do. As long as it's kosher movies. Not kosher movies. i not going to help you this much now.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you go work. Go do what you got to do. No problem. As soon as you finish, obviously you go with the family, eat, drink, spend some time with the family, but every extra time, you're not allowed to go watch basketball games. You're not allowed to uh, just waste time watching TV, watching nonsense. Not wa- not allowed to oversleep. You're not allowed to just do nothing. Go look at trees. No, my friend. He says, it says that the devout Torah should never leave your mouth, meaning that every spare moment you have, you go learn Torah. That's Rabbi Shmail. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says the following. He says, how can it be that if a man plows at the time of plowing, and he sows at the time of sowing, and he harvests at the time of harvesting, and he threshes at the time of threshing, and he winnows at the time of winnowing, what will become of this Torah? He says, if he does all the things he's supposed to do in the regular world, whenever he's supposed to plant the seeds, he plants the seeds. Whenever there's a customer, he's going to be there. Whenever there's an di- idea, he's going to buy. He's going to invest. He's going to this. He goes, when is he going to have time to learn Torah Bechelal? What kind of Torah is he learning? Why is he learning half uh, a daf yomi? Because you remember, in the Gemara Shabbat, it says that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Lazar, came out of the cave after being there for 12 years. For 12 years, all day ate was Chaluvim and water. Learned Torah non-stop, 24 hours a day. They came out and they saw religious people working on a field. Religious, not like Chilonim. They saw religious people working on a field what are they doing? How dare they leave the holy Torah and go work? Obviously you don't know what the Torah is. To leave it for one second, one second to leave it and go work? How do you do that? How do you leave a billion dollars for five bucks? I just told you you have a safe full of diamonds. Every one of them is 20 carats d flawless. Where are you going to go? You're going to go play with uh, rocks. Throw rocks against the wall. How could it be? These people are crazy. And the Kedusha that they had got such a point where Mamash had burned people. And Batkol came from Shamayim and said, Where'd you come to this world to destroy my world? Go back in the cave. And he sent them back in the cave for another year to tone them down. Take a little bit back of the kedusha that they gave them, they couldn't handle it. Not that they couldn't handle the, the uh, kedusha, they couldn't handle dealing with people that didn't have it. Because they saw the truth of Torah, they saw the Torah for what it was and they just couldn't understand how can somebody spend any time at all on something else. Forget food, forget wife, forget kids, forget anything. Once you actually know what the Torah is, How dare you spend a moment doing anything else? Obviously, you don't know what you're doing. If you don't know what Torah is, you might as well be dead already. So, Rabbi Shimon is saying, the same one everybody celebrates all the time at Lech they don't know this part. He's saying, if you're going to spend so much time working, when are you going to have time for Torah? Because to work, it's not just you go to work you uh, sit and you finish work and you go home. Work comes with baggage. You have to wake up extra time early because you have to take the kids to school because you have to get to work at a certain time. Once you get to the office, you do what you have to do, but once you go home, you're also again thinking about the work that you have at the office. Most people don't leave work at work. They take work at home. Even if they don't actually work at home, which most people do, work some level of their job at home, the headache and stress is at home. Boss yelled at them. What are they going to do at home? They're going to yell at the wife. They're going to yell at the husband. What did he do? He's scared. He didn't do nothing. But the boss yelled at them. So they have to take the anger on someone. They wake up in the morning, they start beating up the kids. Why are they beating up the kids? Because somebody yelled at them yesterday. So the headache, the stress and everything else is going with them with this job. Most people are not very happy with their job. Even though it's the ideal job is to be happy, most people don't necessarily have the ideal position. So, they're in this job and the job is consuming their life. Some jobs, even if you don't want it to consume your life, the job itself is consuming. Like, for example, the business I was in for 16 years, whether you like it or not, in order for you to be good at it, it's 24 hours a day. You can't be good if you have no idea what's going on all over the world. And the world markets are 24 hours. It used to be in the old days, well before I got into it, where it was pretty much the predominant market in the world was the US. Whatever happened in the US, that's all that mattered. Then you started having foreign exchanges open and more foreign exchanges open. Now you have exchanges all over the world and these exchanges work on different hour systems, and also even the U.S. market has different parts of the market that operate 24 hours a day. So now, even though technically every day they still celebrate the non-event of opening the market at 9:30, doesn't really open at 9:30. It's 24 hours a day. They still like for a ceremony. They want to give some people kavod and show them on television and make them feel like they're actually ringing a bell. There's no bell actually. It's just a d- digital thing. Somebody presses a button. It makes them feel good, gives them kavod. But there's no bell. Ding, ding, ding is not a bell. There's no bell. Nobody, nobody's ringing any bells. Hasn't been a bell in many years. But anyway, people like it. Ding, 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 ding. They feel good. Everybody's everybody's on a podium. By the way, if you ever actually see the podium in real life, it's very, very different than it is on TV. And TV, looks huge. The exchange looks like it's packed with people. This is 15, 20 years ago. It used to be. Now, it's a tiny little podium. And it's under them, it's completely empty. They used to have several rooms in the exchange, all packed with people and papers and this, papers everywhere, people going crazy. Now, there used to be over 10,000 people. 10,000 people on the exchange. Now, may, I haven't checked in a long time. I haven't even looked at the market in a few years. Maybe, maybe they have 250, 300 people. Maybe. But it's still the same size rooms. So it looks really empty. But on TV, they always get, like, wherever there's a commotion, there's like eight people playing cards. They make it look like they're trading cards. They're trading stocks. They're all playing poker. They do nothing. Why? Because everything is digital now. Everything is technology. Everything is upstairs. Everything is in the rooms. and computers. Most of the people that really deal with the market don't even live in New York anymore. Wall Street became meaningless. Like, actually, living on Wall Street used to actually mean something today nothing because the exchange is in the air to the cloud there's no, uh there's no you're not buying and selling sugar from somebody you're not buying and selling some stock from somebody it's all digital but the point is that people still do it for the kavod for you know the honor for some ceremony to hold type of uh, sentimental value and also for the TV to have ratings and to still stay relevant But in reality, it's very, very different. I took a few clients over there, over the years, and every time I would take clients there would be a bigger disappointment, because there'd be less and less people. Less and less people. So how do we get into it? So now, in the stock market business, in the investing business, it's operating all the time. So you can't be, if you wanna be successful, if you wanna be just an average guy, you could just go to the office, regular hours, You'll make you fifty thousand dollars a year. You want to be take advantage of the uh, of the opportunity, make you know millions. It's twenty four hours a day consuming job. You have to know what's going on in all markets. You have to be on the phone all the time. You have to be meetings this that. It's it's constantly. It's a life consuming business. So there's no option to just take it easy. Um, even you know it looks like the rich. And famous the big uh, hedge fund managers looks like they have wonderful lives they have these huge houses you look at some of these people I mean they have houses in every state practically and each one of them is bigger than the other you could fit one house inside the other like one of those uh, Russian uh, uh, boxes you know they have the little uh what do they call them? Matushka. Matushka. Yeah yeah Chazakov. see somebody knows right? you guys don't know about something. Disappointing me. House, house, it's like cups. Yeah, it's little cups. One cup into another, one cup into Babushka. another. So, uh, Babushka also. I think it's called something like that. Also,
2: Babushka's
0: an old lady. Old lady, yeah. What's yeah, So, same thing. So, uh, these millionaires have such big houses. One fits into the other. They're so big. But in their real life, like when they're building the business, maybe now they're retired, or maybe now they have so many employees that are doing most of the work. But the real life of a trader, the real life of somebody that's in the business, twenty four hours a day. There's no day, there's no night, they work weekends, they work... If there was 26 hours, they work 26. Nonstop. Why? You have to know what's going on. Why? Because every single move in some type of market can go against you. Either go down, go up, whatever, it's constantly moving. Especially if you manage a lot of money. So, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is saying if you're going to be successful in this business. You're not going to go into business to be a loser. Nobody goes into business saying, I can't wait to be a loser. I can't wait to not make any money. I can't wait to make minimum wage. Everybody goes into business with hopes that one day they're going to be rich. Even the guy that's making minimum wage right now, he's only doing it now until he has a better opportunity. He doesn't have like a life plan goal. I'm going to be at this job making minimum wage for 80 years. No. He's saying, I'm going to do this until I get my degree and I'll make more money I'm gonna do this until I get his job and then the next guy's job and the next guy's job and eventually I'm gonna run the place everybody has ambition you have to be a human being you have to have some type of ambition if you don't have ambition you're probably dead yep. so in general no one goes to work without an ambition to make more so Abishimo knew this and he's saying of course you're gonna have the natural inclination to be ambitious and if you're ambitious you're gonna work And not just during the day, but during the season. And there's no off-season. When there's off-season, you're going to find some other work. You're going to to try to grow and do and this and that. What's going to be of your Torah? When you're going to have time to study Torah? And even if you study Torah, what kind of Torah are you going to study? You're going to study an hour a day. Two hours a day. You have 24 hours a day. You only study two hours. Bushah Becherpah is telling you. You should be ashamed of yourself. What kind of life is that? And then he continues, He goes, what's the reason? Why? You're focused on business because you have no emunah. Because you know, if you had emuna, you would know that the time that Am Yisrael are doing the will of the omnipresent, the time that the Am Yisrael are learning Torah, if they're seriously learning Torah, you would know that whatever they need to do as far as work, Hashem has other people do it for them. Hashem has other people do it for them. You don't have to work. Money's going to come to your bank. Money's going to show up at your door. What do you mean, my house? My wife's going to be a little dove carrying a check for five thousand dollars a
2: month?
0: <laughs> How? It's not your business. That's Hashem's business. It's Hashem's business, not your business. Rabbi Shimon is saying, if you don't believe that, you have emunah problems. Rabbi Eliezer Ben-Holkino says in the Gemara, if someone ate yesterday, and he's still wondering, how am I going to eat tomorrow? He has no emunah. There's no emunah. Why? You ate today, right? Who gave you the food? Hashem. Why, well, Hashem left? He retired after today? He finished all of his money on this on this burger? On this schnitzel? He finished it, that's it? Oh, he has still money. Oh, he still has money, so will give you tomorrow also. Yeah, but he didn't give me yet today, but he gave you today. Did he tell you yesterday he's going to give you today? No. He gave you today though, right? So why wouldn't he give you tomorrow? If you're thinking about tomorrow, bichlahu, while you're eating your sandwich, you ate today and you're thinking about tomorrow, you have no emuna. So everybody keeps talking about emuna, emuna, emuna. Very basic. Rabbi Elias one of the rabbis of Rabbi Akiva, is telling you a secret. So you want to know if you have emuna? Are you thinking about tomorrow? You thinking about your pension? You thinking about your IRA? You thinking about extension? how you can afford the extension to the house? You thinking about how you can afford the yeshiva for the kids? You thinking about how you can afford this? Or how you can afford that? You thinking about that? You have no you're not. If you're worried about something now, and you already have some of it today, shouldn't gave it to you today, you have a problem. Why? Because He gave it to you today. If He didn't give it to you today, it's a different story. But you have today, right? You have lunch today? You ate? Everybody ate about Hashem? So why are you worried about tomorrow? So, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is saying, at the moment that Ami Yisrael is doing the will of Hashem, Hashem takes the rest of the world to do their job. Whatever that means. Whether it's to fix their houses, or pay their bills. Whatever it is, someone else is going to do it for you. We should also know the following. He says, But at the time when people of Israel do not do the will of the omnipresent, their work is done by themselves. So now, it's the opposite. You don't do what Hashem uh, wants you to do, go to work. You have to use your time for something, we learned that last week. You can't just do nothing. You came to this world to work. You're either going to work for Hashem, full-time Torah, or you're going to work a regular job. There's more to this, so don't, this is not for everybody. Point is, is that he's saying, if you do the will of Hashem, you don't even have to think about work. That's all if you do it with, the, with, with Hashem. If you're studying two hours a day and the rest of the day you're doing nothing, guaranteed to go broke at some point. Guaranteed. Cannot stay that way. And then he finishes it off and he says the following. And not only that... This is a little scarier. He says, if you're really bad, if you're really mezalzel, if you're really not studying Torah at all, and you're really not... Hashem is really not happy with you, not only you going to have to do your job, but yeah, you're going to have to do your enemy's job. Meaning you're going to be an employee making your enemy rich. Not only are you working for somebody else, but you're going to make him rich while you stay poor. So you're still not going to be successful. So that's a Later on in the same Gemara, in 35b, they uh, get to a point where they say, well, this does not necessarily apply to everyone. Some people are obviously meant to be Tamidin Chachamim learn full time, and some are not. But everyone is obligated with the same mitzvah of learning Torah. Everyone's obligated to learn Torah. So this agrees with what we have here. Disagrees with what Rabbi Shimon is saying here. He's actually telling you that if you take one of the divret Torah you heard, one of the divret Torah you learned, and you're thinking about it, and all of a sudden you see a mountain, you see a tree, you see something beautiful, you see a pretty bird, and you lose your train of thought, Rabbi Shimon is already in the mindset of saying, how can you spend a moment doing anything other than learning Torah? So this matches because he, when he came out of the cave with his son, he said, anybody that's spending any time not learning Torah, there's no right to live, has has given up his opportunity to live. So Rabbi Shimon, on the other hand, he's telling you, listen, the only reason you came here is to learn to lie. and if you're not you know, all you're going to do is, if you stay alive if Hashem lets you live all you're going to do is serve your enemies what's the point of life? so it's the same thing over here it agrees with what we're saying over here with this Mishnah, which says if you're actually going to instead of learn to lie, you're going to go look at mountains and birds and baseball games so you're putting your life on the line now Another source that we get this from is if you remember in a Mishnah in Avot one, and also in 3.5 from a few weeks ago and both of them had said something similar Akavya ben Ma'alal אומר Yistakal b'sheloshah d'varin Ve'en ata ba'a l'idea avira Da'me'en ba'ta Ve'en ata holek Ve'lefne mi ata'atid L'ten din ve'hesbun So Akavya ben Mehalel says, consider three things and you will not come to the grip of sin. Know where you came from and where you're going to and before whom you will give justification and reckoning. So Akavya ben Mehalel is in the same field where he's saying always be concerned about where you're going. Not just physically going. But spiritually, where are you going? Which direction are you going? In uh, five, in the fifth Mishnah, we heard from Rabbi Chanina ben Chachinai, Omer aneo So Rabbi Chanina ben Chachinai says, One who stays awake at night or who travels alone on the road but turns his heart to idleness. Indeed, he bears his guilt for his soul. So in essence, the same concept. Here again, we hear from Rabbi Hanina ben Chachinai, he says, if you're on the way and you're wasting time, you're just looking into the air, you're just daydreaming, they call it. Or in today's generation, everybody's attention deficit disorder, everybody's daydreams, is attention deficit disorder. Everybody's sick. The whole generation is full of sick people. Every kid six, seven, eight, nine years old is sick, apparently. Really, it's the parents that are the sick. But they say the kids are, they blame the kids. Because they don't want to discipline the kids. They don't want to tell the kids no. They don't want to tell the kids pay attention. They don't want to have any patience with the kids. They don't want to teach them the right way. So what do they say? No, they're sick. Just give them some Ritalin. Give them some drug. Okay. Make them all like this. Make them, you know, oozy you know, out, out, out of his mouth. And just blame everything on the world. Oh, look how unfortunate I am! My kid has ADD. My kid has ADHD. This, this D, and that D, and all D, and it. you have it. The kid's fine. Kid's fine. Kid's perfectly normal. He's just a kid. No, he has hyperactivity. What kid doesn't? Oh, it's the one that, does, that the one that you're giving him the ritalin. He doesn't. Why? Because he's oozing out of his mouth. He's high. How could he be hyper or se- hyper anything? He's he's going to sleep 24 hours a day. Take away the drugs. He's going to jump around. Why? Because he's a kid. Everybody jumps around when they're a kid. Who doesn't jump around? They're a kid. That's what you do when you're kids. You jump on beds. You jump on ceilings. You jump on anything you can jump on. When you stop, when it breaks. That's it. Game's over. You find something else to break. That's what you do when you're a kid. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what kids do. But today, no, no, no. Any kid jumps on a bed, any kid that talks out of turn in class, any kid that raises his hand to go uh, to the bathroom, any kid that squeezes anything the wrong way, no, no, he's sick, he's this, he's that. In Hashem, you would think this problem is only in the secular world. It's not. It's also in the yeshiva world. It's also in the religious world. And unfortunately, there are many, many situations that I know of personally of reshaim and ushaim that pretend to be religious rabbis that throw kids out of yeshiva and have thrown kids out of yeshiva saying no, no, he's hyper this and he's hyper that and he's not for this he's not for that what's what's really the real reality? they don't like him why? maybe the parents don't donate maybe they're Sephardic and he's Ashkenazi machshimo. maybe uh, you know, he's Sephardic and they're Ashkenazi all types of stupidity nonsense Sinat Chinam I know of at least, at least, minimum two examples. Minimum two, that I know for sure. Two kids that could have been geniuses in the Torah, he threw them out of the school. And now, both of them keep nothing. Zero. Nothing, nothing. Not even kosher, nothing. Zero. Disconnected from religion. Both of them could have been tamidim chachamin. Both of them had, mamash, brains. Superpower brains. I wish I had their brains. Rasha throws him out. Yeah. What, what about the guy that threw him out? The guy that threw him out has a villa in Gainom that he's going to enjoy for eternity. Blessed shame Hopefully soon. Amen. Why? Every sin they ever make is his fault. It's his fault. And he's not the only two kids. These two kids that I know personally in my life, but there's many others. He's somebody that uh, has been doing it for many years. So, unfortunately, he's not the only story. There's many like him. For whatever reason or another, all these Rishayim somehow want to be teachers. And somehow, the Satan gives them the ability not only to be teachers, but to be principals of these yeshivot. And they torture all the kids that are either not rich, or the kids that are maybe not this, not that, something, something is always wrong. And unfortunately, they torture these kids and they, mamash, they destroy Amisleh. They destroy the next generation. But you should know that, you know, in today's world, it's upside down. Everything is upside down. Everything is upside down. Everything is very, very, like, abnormal. In the old days, who used to teach the little kids? Little kids. Little five, six, seven-year-old kids in school. Who would teach them? Gdoleado. You hear what he said? Gdoleado. Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva used to teach little kids. All the gedolei Ador would teach little kids also. Why? They're the future. Today, you tell a rabbi, he's a rabbi for three years. Go teach in a yeshiva for Yardim Ketanim. Like, oh, chutzpah, you know who I am. You know how much I learned. You know how much I know. You know how much this and how much that. What's the problem? Rabbi Akiva, story. you're better than Rabbi Akiva. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with teaching little kids? That's the future. No, everybody's ego. It's not... No, it's not... Uh, it's not up to my ego. Not up to my standards. Not up to my this. Not up to my that. So it's... Everything is opposite in the world. Also, just in the business world, I found out, you know, every day, Hashem, Bauch Hashem, reminds me of why I run away from the business world. And, uh... Was it today? or Yesterday? Whatever it was. There's this is lawyer that I still have to deal with. And... Uh, He um, tells me, no, I owe money. I told him, no. I paid you $25,000. From the day one, I paid you $25,000. A long time ago. And I don't owe you anything. So what did he say? Prove it. Prove that you paid me $25,000. This is, malas, the opposite of reality. Because you would think that the onus of proving it is on him, not me. You think that part of me paying the $25,000 is you actually having an accounting system that shows I paid you $25,000. Why do I have to go look at all my reports and all my files and everything else to go prove that I paid? You should prove that I didn't pay. But that's that's the upside-down world. Upside-down world. Ramash, everything is upside-down. And me, I have special luck. Special luck with all these lawyers, doctors, all these different professionals. Loch Hashem... You know, they say that Hashem gave uh, beauty or I'll give you, for example, all the witchcraft. Witchcraft, 9 out of 10 went to Egypt. 9 out of 10 went to Egypt, 1 to the rest of the world. Me, ba- bad luck with lawyers and doctors, 9 went to me, 1 to the rest of the world, I think sometimes. Mamas, I, I could tell you stories about lawyers and doctors. <laughs> I, I can write books, books, just on that. Just on lawyers and doctors. So when someone tells me the Gemara, where it says the best of the doctors is going to oh I'm like, yeah, I know for sure. I know them. I know who's going to be there. I know at least 50 of them that are definitely going to be there. So, <laughs> So, Baruch Hashem, Hashem continues to test us, Baruch Hashem, and help us. So now, Rabbi Shimon by Yochai means serious business just like the Tanaim before him. He says, you can't just walk around in this world aimlessly like there's no boss. You can't be one of these people that walks around in the desert, sees a castle, beautiful, pristine castle, huge, amazing. Walks inside, sees everything clean, food is fresh. Tasty, diamonds everywhere, gold everywhere. You go into the kitchen, start grabbing whatever you can get and thinking, eh, doesn't belong to anyone. They asked Rav Wasserman about the story. He said, Is it really true that all of these chilonim, all of these secular people I don't really know much? Is it really true they're all going to go to Gain Om? All of them are going to go to Gain Om? He wasn't exactly uh, one to yell, but in this he yelled. He's the first they will. Mm. How can you go in the middle of the desert, find a castle full of food, diamonds, and everything else, and say, "Oh, it doesn't belong to anyone"? Just for the foolishness and stupidity, you're going to go to Ganom for thinking why it just came by itself. Yeah. The food was cooked by itself. The diamonds just appeared, cut, D flawless, twenty carats by itself. That's it. Even the waste is not made by itself. The waste comes from your body. Has to go through a process. The waste doesn't come by itself. So you're going to say, the byproduct before the waste, before the waste, it became by itself. The eyes came by themselves. The animal came by itself. Just for the chutzpah of thinking that. You're going to go again, he says. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, you can't walk around in the middle of the desert and think, oh no, I'm just looking at Hashem's creation no my friend there's nothing for free he says just for that you're in trouble in uh, the book about one of the books there's a couple I believe about Maran Ovadia Rav Ovadia and uh, they say that whoever used to pray with him would never forget the experience of watching him pray on Yom Kippur. Why in Yom Kippur? Generally is tefillah during the week he was able, to, he was at a much, much higher level than a natural person. He was able to have full covenant in a relatively short period of time. But he get to it. Why? Because he would run right back to learning. He wouldn't waste a minute. Many times his wife had to debate him just to convince him to eat, because he didn't want to waste time eating. She would have to every day, they'd say in the book, every day they would have to argue about him eating or not. And sometimes she would just let it go and give up, and sometimes she would say, Okay, I'm starting to get upset. And immediately he would get up and go. He never, never, under no condition, would want to make his wife upset. But every time he would say five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, she started two o'clock, by the time you shut up, it's five. But he didn't care. He was eating Torah. He was living. That's on Torah. Sometimes people would come to his house and it would get to be late at night. So he'd send them, oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay, I'm tired. I'm tired. You know, it's just, you know, you can go home now or I'm tired. And send them home. And then his niece and uh, his um, his sons would say, no, he wouldn't go to sleep. He would stay up. He just felt bad for them. He didn't want them to feel you want them to stay up so late. But you go back to you'd go back to learning. Sometimes you'd even pretend to go to sleep. It's like nay hey, I'm going to sleep. He'd go to his bedroom. As soon as they leave, he goes back outside. Mamas addicted to Torah. And if you read this book and you see his passion about Torah, I mean it's Mamas beyond understanding. But you feel, you feel his love for the Torah. That's why at the end of the book, Mamash, a part that made me cry. They made it as if the books wrote a eulogy on him. His books, he had 40 50,000 books. He knew them all by heart. We don't know one page of Gemara by heart. He knew 50,000 books by heart. Just imagine the difference. It's not even human, Bechlal. You can't really compare regular human beings to something like that. Even if the human being has an IQ of five thousand, still 50,000 books by heart. Who we'll knows something like that? Computer doesn't know fifty thousand books by heart. So it made it like the books wrote a eulogy, and they were crying. They left when we saw you leave the last day. We knew that it was our last time seeing our hero, our warrior. We'll miss you, and Mama, she made you cry, Mama. Yeah, I don't mean my wife were crying. So. Highly recommended book. Anyway, the one of the stories says that the people in the Kila that would pray next to him on Yom Kippur would never forget one part of Yom Kippur. What? During a time when we're doing Tachanun, we're doing the Khatanu Avinu Pashanu, when it gets to which one? Because Khatanu Avinu Pashanu. There's a lot of them. Yom Kippur, there's a whole list of different sins we made. Most of the sins we repeat are sex crimes. But there's one of them, which most of us, I don't even know if we hit ourselves on. What is it? Bitalnu Torah. We wasted time that we supposed to be learning Torah. We wasted time and we didn't learn Torah. Instead of learning Torah, we did something else. We ate extra, we slept extra, we watched baseball, we watched football, we watched the mountains. We talk nonsense. We talk business. Whatever. There were time. In reality, none of us learn enough. Even if you learn all day, you're not learning enough. Needless to say, if we're learning an hour, two hours a day. So, all of us are guilty of bitanu Torah. But in reality, most of us, unless you're really, really glued to the Torah, Yom Kippur arrives. You get to that verse says bitanu Torah. You like you go to the next one. I'm more concerned about wasting seed. I'm more concerned about Michal Shabbat. I'm more concerned about lying, cheating. This, all the things we think are more significant.
1: Tikkun Haklali also Rabbi. Huh? Tikkun Haklali.
0: Tikkun Haklali is.
1: Sexual
0: crimes, they Yes, yes, but this this tachanun is something that we all do on Yom Kippur. And we're repenting for it. Each time we hit ourselves, we're repenting. We have, we're supposed to be technically thinking about this every day. Really, you're supposed to be doing Tachanun t- uh, every day. On Shachrit, uh, Mincha, and also Shema Lamita. But if you do it at least once, you're okay. Unfortunately, there's many that don't do it today. There's a Minag not to do it, only on Yom Kippur. I know it's a strange Minag. But nonetheless, Sephardics, we do it every day. Either way, when Rav Ovadia would get to the section of not Chil Shabbat or wasting seed or anything, we'd get to the section of Bital Nut He would start hysterical crying and he would not stop. To the point where everybody just stopped what they're doing and they're just watching him thinking, I murdered somebody. What could he possibly have done? They know, what are we up to? Bital Noutora he's saying he he wasted a second somehow, someway during the year second, two seconds three seconds and he starts hysterical crying like we cry if we lost everything plus more why? what's the difference? the difference is he knew what he's losing we're still clueless. Rav Nisim again, Zechra Tzadik used to say, if you ask a little kid, a little five, six-year-old kid, how big is the biggest star? How big is the biggest star? What going to tell you? The size of a quarter. He doesn't know the concept of a star. Normal little kid, not one of these genius rocket science kids. But a little normal kid, five-year-old kid, sees a star, he thinks that what he sees... It's what it is. The biggest star you can see with the naked eye, that's the size of a quarter, maybe even smaller. Nickel. Biggest star. Little does this kid know that the biggest star is thousands of times bigger than Earth. But why does he think that the star is so small? Because he's so far from the star. We're so far from the star, we think it's small. Rav again used to say, he goes, that's us. That's us with our sins. We think we all have small sins. No, oh, I just did something last week. It's no big deal. I got angry. Eh. Ah, no big deal. I overcharged a little bit. The guy has a lot of money. He's not going to lose sleep over it. Ah, it's no big deal. I forgot to do feelings. Big deal. What Hashem cares? I did feeling five days. Okay, six days I didn't do it. What Hashem is going to stop the world for my sixth time. Okay, so I lit the lamp on Shabbat by accident. Shogek. Accident. I forgot for a second this, that. Every we, have, No big deal. Rabbi, no big deal this. Rabbi, no big deal that. We tell ourselves, we look at the mirror, we want to make, make ourselves feel good. No big deal for this, no big deal for that. All day, no big deal. Nonstop sins, no big deal. Nothing's a big deal, apparently. No, so I kissed her. Big deal. No, so my wife's not going to mind. You if she knew she'd murder you, yes. So why is it a big deal? Why is it no big deal? Because you did it. As if somebody else did it, oh shh. No, come on, why? Hashem's watching. Everybody that's a with other people's cheshbon Everybody that's a with other people's cheshbon Come on, no. Psh. You can't drive on Shabbat. No, why you didn't know. And all of a sudden they start giving a lecture on Shabbat. Little does he know, they were also Mechal Shaba two weeks ago. Everything is not a big deal. Why is it not a big deal? Because we're so far, we're so far from the truth, we have no idea, no idea how big this sin is because we have no idea what kind of damage we're creating in our own ulama. ba. One day if we don't do chuba. You arrive at this world, it's full of destruction. And say, what happened here? This is the lava they've been telling me about for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years? Yes, this is the lava What do you mean? It's destroyed. It's fire, volcanoes, weird, strange things chasing me. What's going on here? Oh, oh you did it. Demons. You did it, my friend. You destroyed it. Yep. What do you mean when I destroyed it? You see that, that big demon is about to kill you over there? The big one, all full of eyes? Yeah. That's because you forgot to do the Yadayim. What? The Tirat Yadayim? The Yadayim made that big giant demon the size of a moon? Yeah? What do the that really? Yeah? It's not even like a biblical mitzvah. Made that big of a demon the size of a moon? Yes. It's coming to you. Why not? It's getting closer. You should start running. What about the other one? It's the other side. Oh, you don't know about that. That one's because you missed feeling on a Tuesday. You missed feeling on a Tuesday. Wait, but what about... What's that? It's just black. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a bunch of them. What's that? Oh, that's the wasting seed. Wait till they get to you. Shem and Achem. We don't know what's going on in the next world because it's so far away. It's so far away, but the damage is being done. This is the root of this Mishnah. He's not telling you, listen, if you look at a tree, he cares. You think Rabbi Shimon Ba Yochai cares if you look at a tree or not. If you have to make a bracha, you look at a tree. A beautiful tree, you have to make a bracha. You see something beautiful in the world, you have to make a bracha. He's not telling you, now, don't do a bracha. He's saying, if you stop learning Torah, just to look at a tree, you are so far from where you're supposed to be, your life's on the line, my friend, and you don't even know it. You have balminan, balminan. You have the disease, and you don't even know it. You're still going to work, working overtime. Who is the poorest guy in the world? The guy that has cancer, balminan, or some deadly disease. He has a year to live, but he doesn't know. So he's still working overtime, saving for a vacation for next year. Because <laughs> if he would have known, he wouldn't work one one second more. have a seat. So Rabbi Shimon is trying to tell you. It's not that your life's on the line because you look to the tree. Your life's on the line because you have no idea why you're even here. You have no idea what kind of treasure you have in your hand and what you're putting it aside for. You put aside a chest full of diamonds for a couple of rocks to play marbles with. Only a fool does that. That's what he's telling you. In T'mara, Vasechet Shabbat, it has an extraordinary midrash. Something, mamash, I learned it. It's so enjoyable. Uh, you don't really know the purpose of life until you read this midrash. It's so amazing, it's so sweet, if you actually understand what's being done here. It was worth it to come to this world, suffer every single day just to relearn this midrash. First time you're going to learn it, it may not mean anything other than a simple story. But once you get it, at least... Some point of it, it's not much beautiful. So Rabbi O'Shobah ben Levi says the following. Different things that happen in Mount Sinai. So we know in Duff 88, page 88b, it says that when all of Am Yisrael was at Mount Sinai, Hashem said the first commandment and everyone died. So Chazal asks, so what happened? How did they, it continues to say, they heard the second commandment and the third commandment and the fourth commandment. How did they hear it if they died? So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Mechadesh, he says, in the uh, Song of Songs that Shlomo Amelech wrote, who originally people thought was a uh, intimate song between a man and a woman, they found out that this song was written through Ruach HaKodesh. And it's actually between, the relationship between Hashem and Am Yisrael. And it says, Lechayav ka abosim, that God's cheeks are like a bed of spices, of incense. Why? What's, what does this have to do with? That with every single statement that emanated out of the mouth of the Holy One, blessed is He, the whole world was filled with a fragrance of spices. Every time He said one word, the whole world had a completely new original smell something out of this world. And the next K'mara after it says that this is the dew, this is the smell, this is the magic, if you will, that brought Am Yisrael back to life. But he continues and he says, but since the world became filled with the fragrance from the first statement... Where did the fragrance from the second statement go? So if you're saying that every word that came out of his mouth, every mitzvah that came out of his mouth, had a new fragrance that was consuming the entire world. Okay, that's the first one, but he said more than one thing. So where did the first one go? <laughs> Hashem, the Holy One, blessed is He, took a wind from His storehouses. رشون رشون. He drove away each fragrance and put it in Gan Eden. So every time he finished the statement, he would bring a wind, a special wind that would take that wind to Gan Eden, which is sixty times larger than the world. So each one went somewhere else. So the first thing we see here, they ask a few questions about this. First thing is, why don't you just leave the first one? One fragrance, that's it, it's already amazing. No? One, it's nice, delicious, that's it, enough. Chazal is telling us here from here we learn you can't mix mitzvot. You can't mix celebrations, you can't bundle them. So in the Gemara Moet Katan and also in Sotah both page 8 says something interesting. In Gemara Moet Katan and like I said also in uh, Sotah also page 8a and Moet Katan page 8b in Sota it says uh, There's a principle that we have in the Torah that we don't bundle mitzvot. We don't prefer mitzvot in bundles. Meaning, if you're already in the middle of a mitzvah, you're not allowed to start a new mitzvah. Unless the Shuchan Naruch says it's a bigger mitzvah and you have to do it. How do you know if it's a bigger mitzvah, you have to do it. If there's someone to do your mitzvah now and no one to do the other mitzvah, that's one way. Or if, let's say, for example, one's a bigger mitzvah. So, for example, you can't be a violator of Shabbat to go give tzedakah. You can't violate Shabbat to give tzedakah. What can you you, uh, violate Shabbat for? Save life. life. It's a life risk. Now what if you know that chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, you have somebody that is connected with the makhshimam v'sikram, the New Testament, and they're going to go to a uh, ritual to convert them. Even though there's no such thing as a Jew that uh, becomes something else even though they practice a different religion it just means they are a Rasha or an idol worshiper but they still remain a Jew they don't have to convert back to Judaism if they do Tshuva but still nonetheless if let's say for example somebody's daughter somebody's friend somebody's anything is a Jew you know now he's going to go to the church and worship an idol are you allowed to violate Shabbat feim, or no? Saving his life, you said yes. If you know that woman is pregnant, you violate Shabbat. It's so a mitzvah. Take her to the hospital. Mitzvah. It's not an Shabbat's on hold. It's now a mitzvah to take her to the hospital. What about driving, back? driving back, you're not allowed to. As soon as you get there, as soon as you get there, as soon as there's no longer risk, as soon as the risk is over, Shabbat gets turned on again. Meaning, you go there. You actually have to have somebody else park the car because as soon as the risk is over. The car's still on. You can't turn the car off. You can't go park it. Shabbat's officially on. As soon as the risk is off, Shabbat's back on. You have to stay at the at the hospital for the rest of Shabbat. You can't go back home to the bekneset, minyan, anything like that Shabbat's back on. But now, so for life risk, we know not only you're allowed to violate Shabbat, but it's a mitzvah. But what if somebody's going to worship an idol? What if somebody's going to convert to Christianity? No. Are you allowed to violate Shabbat or no? It's yeah. so not for sure he's going to
2: even listen to you. He's going to be probably ready to up his mind. Yes, you
0: are. Okay, no. Sunny says you are. Uh, Amos says no.
2: I didn't say, I maybe.
0: You're saying a maybe. Okay, maybe. So he's going 50-50, just to be sure. No? Because who said the
2: guy's
0: going to
2: listen to you? The guy's going to the church. Why would he listen to
0: you? Okay, no, that's your answer. fine. I'm asking. I'm asking. If I knew, I'd so ask. If you save one
2: dude, save world. So it's contradicting.
0: You have to pick an answer, my friend.
2: You guys walking into suicide. Yeah, literally. Yes. Yeah.
0: No. You
2: really said both yes or no. So.
0: I want to hear more answers with more and more rationale, more uh, things behind it. No. I know the answer, by the way, guys. Okay. So I'm just I'm not testing to see if you know the answer. I want to make you guys think for a little bit. Anyway. No, this person we're not saying Oriya. I'm talking about somebody's going to convert to Christianity first time. Well, if it's going to convert, it's not a real conversion. So what is Not a real conversion, mean? but still the she or he is going now to convert. Are you allowed to violate Shabbat for them? Thing. Huh? It's not final. It's not final in Shamay, but it's final in their eyes. In
2: Israel, that they stink would actually kidnap people who want to leave, who don't want to convert something like that. It isn't to go save them then.
0: No.
1: Maybe we
0: for him will save his life from going this way. Okay, so you should know what's bigger? Neshama or body? Shama, nishama. Nishama. So we just said for body, Shabbat goes on hold. Somebody's body is at risk. Shabbat goes on hold. We're allowed to violate Shabbat. Not only are we allowed to violate Shabbat, some mitzvah to violate Shabbat for them to save their life. Why? Because their body's at risk. Even more so, kal Needless to say, if their soul is at risk, if someone you know is going to a uh, conversion of uh, Christianity or some type of other form of idol worship, you are hundred percent allowed to violate Shabbat to go save them. Mitzvah. Why? Because spiritual suicide, like uh, Tzadik Sani said in the back, it's even bigger than your nish- bigger than your body. It's worse.
1: Rabbi, it's much worse. Rabbi, like, like in, in Hungary, uh, we had this stupid king. Mm-hmm. You know, in 18, 1850, you know. Okay. So, so, so the Spaniard came. They said, "Oh, everybody has to convert to Christianity. Okay. Or, or you guys die.
0: Okay.
1: And the king said, okay, we accept Christianity.
0: Okay.
1: But some of me, like, like my, uh, Saint Marius, mm-hmm. kept the the true faith."
0: well I mean to keep to say this is one of the three things that the Torah says v'al there's three things that you need to die but instead of sin so if somebody comes to you and says go kill somebody or we kill you he says kill me why? your life, your blood is not worth more than his blood even if a uh, you're older you're younger even if he's 99 years old and he's on his deathbed still you're not allowed to take his life over yours uh, unless he's a gdolador, he's a giant rabbi or something like that, you can gift your life for him. But other than that, you're not allowed to gift your life for anybody else. That's one. Two, uh, for a sex crime. Somebody tells you go to a mixed dancing party. Die in not sin. Go to a club full of uh, half-naked women. Die in not sin. Go to a beach with half-naked people there. Die in not sin. Obviously, go have sex with a woman you're not allowed to be with, go have sex with a man you're allowed to be with, die in not sin. That's number two. Third one is idol worship. Somebody says, go bow or kiss the cross, bow to the cross, says, die in not sin. There's three things, Alek Val Yavo. There's three things that under no condition are you allowed to sin. Now, unfortunately, many of our uh, forefathers, not forefathers, many of the previous generations, unfortunately the uh, Anusim, many people were in uh, in the um, in Spain and other countries were forced to convert uh, and failed this test. And that's where there's a lot of Anusim right now. There's people that were forced to convert but are trying to either secretly kept Judaism for all those years or they're trying to come back to Judaism right now. But many of them have to go through a uh, Giyu Lechuma. Like they have to go through a conversion anyway because there's still a sefek if they kept it or didn't keep it. So they still have to go through a conversion. Uh, But there's there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, Baruch Hashem, today that uh, have to go through it. Yeah.
2: So there's
0: a guy, he has like um, like this magazine and he's sitting from it. Like am I allowed to go just throw his magazine out? 100%. You're allowed to take the magazine, burn it on fire. Take the magazine, you burn it on fire. mitzvah. 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 No, no. No, no. Mitzvah. Not, <laughs> not just not not just you're allowed to mitzvah. You get Allah Abba for it. It's a uh, it's it's the certain things that you're allowed to do. It's a uh, certain things that is actually mitzvah, even though it's a uh, seems crazy in the in the secular world's mind. It's hundred percent mitzvah. As certain things. So going back to our point, we learned from Gemara Masechet that we don't bundle mitzvot if you have, let's say, for example. A uh, tzedakah, or you have uh, Shabbat. Obviously, Shabbat oh you know, supersedes it. But if you have a, uh, you, you can't say, "Listen, I'm going to go give tzedakah and then I start Shabbat." No such thing. But now in the Gemara, Moed Katan, it gives a little bit more of a Tosfot gives a little bit more explanation of why are you not allowed to get married. During cholamoid, cholamoid. We're not talking about holidays. We're talking about cholamoid, you're not allowed to get married during cholamoid. So Rashi and Tosfot and a few other mefoshim talk about it here, and we'll, I'll, I'll mention each one in its place. with Hashem. So first and foremost, it says the basic explanation is we're not allowed to bundle mitzvot. We're not allowed to do two mitzvot at the same time. And the reason why is because it takes the honor of one and replaces it with the other. So the basic explanation is is that if, let's say for example, we bundle mitzvot, if we allowed people to bundle mitzvot, Chazal says it would make it look chas v'shalom as if we're just trying to get these mitzvot over with just to get it all done so we can move on with something we really want to do. You know, like for example, when you need to do laundry, change the kids, and, uh, I don't know, uh, brush your teeth. What do you do? You throw the kids in the laundry while you're brushing your teeth. Looks like you're trying to get rid of the kid. You know, It doesn't look like you really want to do laundry, the kid, and everything else. It doesn't look good. good. Oh, we, Sometimes there's choice. Sometimes your boss tells you, listen, do one, two, three. What do you do? You do a half-assed job in three things. Instead of doing a good job in all three and taking your time, you do your speed. Speed everything. Like we're all, uh, we're all speeding through everything through life. Nobody told you to speed through anything. Do a job. It's better quality than quantity. So same thing Chazal says, the basic level explanation you should know, you should never bundle mitzvot because chas Shalom we don't want it to look to Hashem as if we're just trying to get rid of His mitzvot, try to get a hafif, get it done with, over with, let's go. We want to move on to something we really want to do. Each mitzvah has to get the kavod that it deserves because in Shemaim, that's what they're gonna judge us on. If you're already doing mitzvah, don't think oh I'm patur, I'm done. I did the mitzvah, I I, I got out of uh, I paid my dues. Hmm. You know, a lot of people say, no, no, I'm just it's uh, me I fulfilled my obligation. I laid filin, fulfilled my obligation. Wait filin, 25 years, you lay in five minutes? Okay, listen, just started doing tshuva. They tell you, listen, five minutes, filin, shma' israel, fine. Six months into it, Shema Yisrael and Amidah. Fine. What? Ten years already, you're just doing Shema Yisrael and Amidah. No, my friend, go to Bikneset.
2: <laughs>
0: go pray the whole prayer. No, it's not him yideh I did what I had to do. Yeah, it's not. 20 years, you're just doing tefillin like a 13-year-old boy. All these people that have tefillin, they haven't bought tefillin since their Bar Mitzvah. They have a 13-year-old boy's boy that's 37 years old, they still have a 13-year-old boy's saying, uh, uh, Well, no, it's expensive for the rab, But the car that you have for 50, 100,000 dollars, not expensive? You pay 1,000 dollars a month for the car. You can't pay 1,000 dollars one time for a tefillin? Why do you have a bar mitzvah kid's uh, tefillin? You're 40 years old. Get a normal tefillin. So, that's the stuff we're going to be judged on in Shemaim. So you know. So you're not surprised when you get up there don't tell you oh I didn't know you get up to Shabbat and I say oh you kept Shabbat good okay Patu, check check kept Shabbat oh you did philin? check so this so, so, things check okay you kept Shabbat okay let's see your Shabbat show me your Shabbat what did you do on Shabbat oh you slept all day 25 years you slept all day that's all you did you slept on Shabbat 25 years what kind of Shabbat is that that's Shabbat okay first time first month first six months you slept all day fine just to get you to stop sinning 25 years you slept all day. And ate like a a cow. Hmm. That's it. That's all you did 25 years. You ate and drank and went to sleep. That's your Shabbat? 25 years? How can we do that? They're going to check you. They're going to say check you kept Shabbat. They're going to see how. They're going to see what kind of mitzvah you did. 25 years you did uh, tefillin. How? 5 minutes tefillin? 25 years? So... In Shammai, they're going to check. So now, we don't want them to see in Shamayim when they're going over the Cheshbon, say, look, every mitzvah, you took 18 mitzvah at once just to bundle them up like it's a package deal in a flea market. It's a package deal in a flea market to get it over with. Each mitzvah has its time. First I do this. After I finish, I do something else. After I finish, I do something else. Mitzvah goeret mitzvah. And if something more important comes along, a bigger mitzvah opportunity comes along, then you do that one. You put that one on hold. You go to the other one, but you don't do everything together. Good. What about? It's two separate mitzvahs, but it's the same prayer. It's in essence part of this. It's the same. Uh, um, the obligations of all, can only be fulfilled at the same time. It only be the same thing with tefillah. Tefillah and tefillin is two different things. Yeah. One doesn't cancel out the other. It's part of the same. It's part of the same mitzvah in essence. It's part of the same mitzvah of praying. Whereas, uh, going and uh, let's say for example giving tzedakah but putting shabbat on hold for that, you can't do that because that's canceling out the other one. Whereas tefillin, tzitzit, and tefillah are part of the same thing, part of the same arrangement. So first, basic explanation. Don't bundle mitzvot because we don't want to disrespect any of the mitzvot. Understand? Okay. So what about? So now, the next one is asking what's the other reason that we can't combine mitzvot such as getting married on Cholam mo'ed the Gemara says, Mipnei bitul priya because allowing marriages on Chol Moed would result in neglect of the mitzvah approval. So, Chazam asks, what does that have to do with it? How could me celebrating Chol Moed, having a barbecue, and having a wedding? Get in the way of me, pull, pull. How does it connect, It's a good question, huh? No almost. So we get you back up.
2: You gonna be
0: busy preparing for the holiday? No, you're No, you're going in the right direction.
2: Sunny, what
0: was the question? Why can't we get married? on khala moed so if we were permitted Rashi says if we were permitted to get married on khala moed people would not get married all year rather they would wait until the festival they would wait until the khala Oed to get married so they combined the wedding feast and the festival feast now what's the problem with that that's what we already know what's the problem with that they would postpone their wedding until Chol moed when work is forbidden so they could you know, have the free time to have fun with their family and their wives and their new wives. What's wrong? Again, we haven't found anything wrong with this yet. Okay, so they're celebrating on Chol HaMu'ed, Chol and you tell them, listen, Hashem, I promise, I'll celebrate Chol moed and I'll celebrate my wedding. I'm not going to disrespect your mitzvah. What's the problem? And what does it have to do with pool boo? says, you delayed... Your wedding, that means you delay bo. You delayed bringing kids to the world. And that's a mitzvah in the Torah. You're obligated to bring children to the world. It's not up to you when you bring kids to the world. You have to try day one. You have to try bringing kids. What the actual outcome is, Hashem is going to decide. But to delay your wedding is not allowed. Why? Because you are putting the mitzvah of bo on hold, which is not allowed. It's a major sin from the Torah. This would result in uh, not delaying, fulfilling the mitzvah of having children, which is a mitzvah for every man. So that's why the sages, it's one of the major reasons behind why the sages uh, prohibited marriage and khala And this also pertains to someone that already has kids from a previous marriage. He still has to do it. Even if you have kids already, you still can't delay a wedding. So of all these people that reach out to me, and uh, Baruch Hashem, a lot of these uh, young yeshiva guys reach out to me, and uh, they ask me about Shiduchim and so on, and so, many of them have the same emunah issue. Um, Baruch Hashem, they keep mitzvot, they learn Torah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can have emunah by default. Emunah is something that you could only get through experience through nisayon through hardships so they asked me listen I don't have any money my father doesn't have any money my mom doesn't have any money the car doesn't have any money nobody has any money should we get married? actually I had one of these guys just yesterday or the day before many of them have reached out to me and asked me the same question so it's already a given question it's already like almost like I have a default answer because many of them ask me the same question he doesn't have money, she doesn't have money, nobody has any money, should we get married?
1: Yeah, but Rabbi, God's gonna gonna always support uh, unity. There's no way that one person can get the blessing from God. Two people, and
0: then... So the question is, if nobody has any money, should they get married?
1: Yes. According to the... First, you
2: buy a house and then you get married. Who says this? I heard this somewhere. <laughs> says
1: no. Yeah, we just my learned friend, the
0: opposite just here. If you have a you're obligated to mar- get married. Obligated to get married. There's no, there's no mitzvah out of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot to the Torah to buy a house. <laughs>
2: no, no, he no mitzvah. Yes, you have
0: to. You have to have a place to live. But you're not allowed to delay a marriage because you're not. You don't have enough. You're not rich or something. Like that. You can find a place to live. We're not saying. Listen, you're, you're homeless. And even if you are, you still have, you still can get help enough from the community to get married and you're obligated to get married. You can't delay a wedding because you didn't finish school yet or you don't have the career that you want yet or you don't have the car that you want yet or you don't have the house that you want yet. All that stuff is not allowed. Why? Because we just learned it again from the same exact ma'am. You're not allowed to delay purbu. Not allowed. So it's also the same answer for people that say, Listen, we just got married. We're not really ready to have kids yet. Who says you're going to have kids? by default, you trying means you succeed. He's the only one who decides you have kids. You could try for 20 years and not have kids. Who says you're going to have kids? You are just obligated to try. Yep. So to not try, it's a sin yep. yep. from so so the Torah. Sin from the Torah. So that's the answer to the question. So now, so that's what we learned already just from the first part of this Gemara. This is only the first part of this Gemara on Shabbat. Of not being allowed to... Uh, combined mitzvot. So now the next uh, other part of the Gemara, after we uh, talk about the section, Rabbi Joshua Ben Levi gives another lesson regarding Mount Sinai. What happened? So when Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Marum when Moshe Rabbeinu ascended to the heavenly heights, he went to Shamaim. He Went to Shemaim His body stayed here. His neshama went up there. The angels. Went to Hashem, and I said, "What is this? Uh, someone that's born of a woman doing among us? This human being doing here?" So Hashem says to them, "He came here to get the Torah for me." So the angels immediately became defensive.
1: Yeah, they
0: were He said, "The Torah." The holy Torah that was here 974 generations before them, before the world, before you created the world, you created the Torah for 974 generations. that existed. Before anything else, you were studying and learning and doing everything in the Torah by yourself for 974 generations. You held it in this treasure. Your greatest treasure of all you give it to them, the ones that were made out of dust, out of sand. What do they know about the Torah? How could they even connect to the Torah to the heavenly parts of the Torah to the secrets? So the angels, Chazal is explaining, were really mostly worried about the secrets part of the Torah, the mystical stuff. So then Hashem says to Moshe Abenu, Give them an answer, no answer them. And Moshe Rabenu steps back, and he says, Hashem, if I answer them, I'm afraid that they're gonna burn me. They're all each one of these angels is the size of the world, and they're all fire. Like I'm scared they're gonna burn me with their fire, with holiness. People think angels are like little uh, Star Wars robots, fire, sometimes I look, you know, people, um, NASA and different organizations have these um, amazing pictures of the cosmos, different stars and uh, different things that, you know, are in the world, in the universe, and once in a while, I mean, if you look carefully, you can see faces, I don't know if it's necessarily faces, to me it looks like faces. Many things that look like faces in the cosmos. And Mamash, you, you see what Rabbi Akiva says in one of the Midrashim. There's, a, uh, there's a, one of the uh, holy creations that Hashem made, one of the angels that Hashem made. It's in the Rakia. it's in the middle of the sky, and its name is Israel. The Chakuka Yisrael, and its name that's in, uh, that's engraved in its forehead is Israel. And what does it do all day? It says, in the right time, It tells, it screams out into the universe, Blessed Hashem! And all of the angels says Hashem is blessed. That's his job. And he says, this angel is in the middle of the universe somewhere. Now, we're thinking, we're thinking, angel, if we think, if we still think like idiots, that's a little Star Wars guy in the middle of the sky, like, oh, who can see it? But we start thinking these giant stars are angels. Imagine one of these giant stars, I mean, it's Mamas, the size of a thousand earths. It's one angel. The sun is an angel. sun is an angel that commends it. The earth is an angel that runs it. One angel. So he's thinking one of these angels in the middle of the heavens screaming, Bless the Hashem! Who's going to say no? So Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabbeinu is scared over here he's saying, Hashem, I'm scared to say something. They're going to burn me. So Hashem says to him, Hold on to my throne. I'll protect you. So Moshe Rabenu. Says, how could the Torah be yours? The Torah says, I am Hashem your God who has taken you out of the land of Egypt. This is the first commandment out of ten. Did you go to Egypt? Yes, the angels. Did you go to Egypt? Were you slaves in Egypt? And then it continues You shall not have other gods Second commandment Because You have anybody that you live amongst You live amongst the Christians The Catholics, the Arabs The Buddhists, the whoever That have idol worship You have them here in, in Shemaim. You have them? No, they're on different section They're not there So what, what are you worried about idol worship? Who's What angel is idol worshiping? Obviously this mitzvah is not relevant to you. He says, remember the Shabbat. Remember the holiness of the Shabbat. Is it even possible for you to violate Shabbat as an angel? Can you even violate Shabbat as an angel? Do you have a melacha that you're doing on Shabbat? What are you going to do, right? What are you going to sew in you Are going to make a sweater for each other? What are you going to do? How, can you even do a melacha? What else it says? Shuv ma lotisa. It says you shall not take the name of Hashem in vain, which is really the third commandment, not the fourth, but it skips here. It says, "Is there masa Matan you have business between you? How do you take Hashem's name in vain? You swear on Hashem's name. In the old days, when they would do business, they'd shake hands. A handshake used to mean something. Today it's just a formality. Today it's just a formality. It means absolutely nothing. Somebody could shake your hand while he's stabbing you in the back. While he's stabbing you in the back? It hurts? (laughs) He's smiling at you the whole time. It hurts? Yeah, good? Okay. $900 an hour. 900 dollars an hour. While he's, while he's shaking your hand. Thank you. He's shaking your hand, he's stealing everything you have. Shaking your hand. In the old days, shake a hand meant something. In the old days, the Jews, Ami used to swear in Hashem's name. When they would do business. You're gonna buy this, I'm gonna buy this. Swear. Swear in Hashem's name, you vow on Hashem's name. Meaning that if you cheat the other guy, it's not just cheating the guy. You desecrate Hashem's name. It's not just cheating the guy that you have to come back in a Gilgul. You're going to gang known for that. You desecrated Hashem's name. You swore and you didn't mean it. You used Hashem's name like a joke. Like it's one of your friends in the bar. Something wrong with you. So that's what happens. He says, You swear in Hashem's name. Is there even business among you angels? You angels do business that you have to swear in Hashem's name? And he continues, Kaber Respect your parents. You have parents? You don't have any parents. And it says, Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't be jealous. None of these mitzvot are relevant to you as angels. So obviously when Hashem wrote the Torah, 974 generations before he created us, obviously he had us in mind. The angels immediately fell in love with Moshe Rabbeinu. When? After they said to Hashem, you made, obviously, Master of the Universe, how grand is your name? Obviously, you already thought about this. Before we even thought about a question, you already had answers. And everybody became a friend of Moshe Rabbeinu. And because they insulted him initially, they each gave him a gift. How did they insult him initially? They said, what is a man, the son of a woman, somebody that came from a human being? What's he doing among us? Angels, fire, the size of stars and suns. What are you little guy doing here? You came from a tipas ruchah, you came from a sperm cell. You're among us, they say they felt bad now. This is not a regular person, this is holy of holies, Moshe They all gave him a gift. Each, each one gave him two gifts as a consolation. So now the Rabbi Shah bin Levi continues. And he says, one of those angels was the Satan himself. And he gave him a gift. What did he give him a gift? He gave him a gift of how to stop a major decree by Hashem Iqbarach of death. And he used it actually in the Torah when it says that uh, when Hashem put a decree on Am Yisrael, we're going to read about it in a couple of weeks, where he put a plague. Plague on Amisrael all the snakes that were biting them. And he told Moshe Rabbeinu, make yourself a snake out of bronze, make everybody else look at them. But to stop the plague, what happened? Aaron had to separate, go in between the living and the dead. Meaning he had to stop the plague by doing what? Using the secret that Moshe Rabbeinu learned from Satan himself. So this Kabah continues on 89 already. B'sha shearad Moshe milifnei Hakadosh baruchu. Satan v'amale fanabri bonoshe olam. Torah Echani said at the time the Moshe Rabbeinu already left left Shamai went down with the Torah Satan came to quest the Torah why is he worried about the Torah Well he didn't know what
2: happened
0: <laughs> Satan knows G'mayim Barachot says Barati Satan Barati Satan I create a yetzara, but I create a potion, the only thing I can kill him. He's bigger than you, smarter than you, older than you, more experienced than you, everything better than you. But there's only one thing that can beat him, it's my Torah. So as soon as the Satan realized, you just gave him a secret weapon, it's like, where, is, where is he? He started asking the sky, the earth, all the other angels, where is this Torah? Where is this Torah? Finally he gets to Moshe Rabbeinu. He goes, where's the Torah? He goes, I don't have it. So Hashem says, Moshe, <laughs> what are you, a little fibber? That's a white lie, you have it. I give you the Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Master of the universe, yesh lecha be'kol yom. Achazik toba le'atzmi. You have covered the treasure Torah that you delight every day. And I should flatter myself that you gave it to me. I should say, this greatest treasure that you have that ever existed. The world was created for the Torah. Not for any other reason. Let's not get confused. Everyone thinks the the world was created for the Jews. What was created for the Jews? Created for the Torah. If Am Yisrael went to Mount Sinai and decided not to accept the Torah, Hashem would destroy the world. Not if the Torah didn't accept Amislay. If Amislay went to Mount Sinai, said no, Shem would destroy the world, or he could easily give it to a different nation, and somebody else will be an Amislay, meaning that the purpose of the world is to fulfill the Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu says the whole purpose of the world is this Torah. It's your greatest treasure. And you want me to go and say to people, Oh, I have the greatest treasure. I have the greatest treasure. Who am I? That's a humble person. Hashem liked it so much. And he said, since you minimize yourself so humble, since you diminished yourself, I'll call that Torah by your name. Torah Moshe. That's why it's called Five Books of Moses. And then the last part of this particular story, and then we'll move on to different things. Oh, actually, this is this is the uh, this is a different one. This, the other one doesn't have much to do with it. But I gave you a synopsis, not all the details of the details. But when you read this Gemara, I don't know. To me, I got mamash. I felt like a little piece of Gan Eden. That mamash you get, you connect to the Torah. You see the relationship between Hashem and Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu say, Moshe, you little fibber, you have the Torah. What well, are you lying to the Satan for? Misken. The guy's looking for the Torah. He's asking the Shemaim. He's asking the Aret, He's going crazy. You have the secret weapon. He's looking for it. You tell him, you don't have it, you have it. You don't have to worry about nothing. You have it already. It's the relationship they have was something amazing. Something really truly amazing. So now, to go back to this Mishnah, And try to summarize all of it and give you guys a special message. You here and you at home, what does it have to do with all of us? Why does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai make such a big deal out of you looking at trees, out of you looking at mountains? At the end of the day, you're enjoying Hashem's creation. You're enjoying the Creator. His creation. You're not saying somebody else created it, you're doing a bracha. You're not doing anything else. What's the problem with it? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is telling you here the fact that you left the Torah for anything. Forget mountains, forget food, forget girls, forget guys, forget cars, forget money, anything. Anything. You left the Torah for a second, not even for a week or a month or a day or a lifetime like many of us did. We're talking about for a second. You just looked at the sky. say, "Oh, You left the Gemara for two seconds to go look at the sky, to go look at the bird. For a second, that means you have no idea what the Torah is worth. You have no idea. And your life is at risk every moment that you don't know because you still don't know why you're alive bikhlad as long as you don't realize that the torah is everything your life is at risk why because as long as you don't understand the significance of torah you're going to do everything against it somebody invites you to a party that you're not allowed to go to that violates the torah and say okay torah off for today party today tomorrow torah somebody will say do a business deal not really allowed by Torah. I say, okay, today business is number one. Tomorrow I'm back to Torah. I'm going to give a lot of tzedakah. You know a lot of these people say I'm going to cheat the world, steal from the world, do dishonest business, but tomorrow I'm going to give tzedakah with that money. Hmm. That's what Bernie Madoff, of did. He used a lot of the money that he stole from people. He gave it a tzedakah. Like a
1: Robin Hood.
0: Yeah, Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Robin Hood would go to Geyenom for what he did. Stealing from the rich. Doesn't get mitzvah. Only the secular world honors a thief. So, a lot of people say, I'm going to do this crime one time. Not every time. I'm not going to be a lifelong criminal. Not a lifelong criminal. One crime. I'm going to be with this one girl one time. I'm going to be with this one guy one time. I'm going to violate the Torah one time. I'm going to go to this party one time. I'm going to wear a wig one time. I'm going to waste seed one time. I'm going to steal one time. One time. Not every day. One time. Rabbi Shinoah says, that one time means your life's in danger. Why? Because to even think that one time is an option bichlal, It's an option in your mind. You have no idea why you're alive. Yep. You have no idea why you're alive. In the book of Numbers, Hashem Barach. Calls his Torah the Book of Wars, Book of Wars, and in the Gemara, Moet Katan, page twenty-five B, it says that one of the sages was buried with the Book of Wars. So Chazal ask, "What's this Book of Wars?" So they get the verse from Numbers twenty-one fourteen. Hashem called the Torah Book of Wars. Some say, some of the mefarshim say that the same book of wars was also around since the days of Abraham Avinu. Where each one of the wars that was actually happening, even the wars of Abraham Avinu, where he would take the dust from the ground, throw it in the air, and all of it would turn into spears. And that's how he killed all four kings and their armies. So he said that they wrote these wars in the book. But a different Chazal says, no, Midrash says, uh, Midrash Shami says, that, no, no, it's talking about Torah, Sefer Torah. What war? Why is he calling Sefer Torah the book of wars? Why is Hashem himself calling this the book of wars? No? Amos? A lot of wars took place. Ma is it wars. What wars? You what? Amalek, Haman, uh, Hitler, who? Who are we fighting with? who his wars with, with uh, Sancherib? Who? Who are we fighting? Who? No, no, Kivanta. You always give me the first, uh, you like, uh, you, uh, tease a little bit. No, you give me the first and and then you leave me hanging. No, give me something. No, give me the whole thing. Who are we fighting all day? What are we doing this lectures for? Why am I here? Huh? We're fighting the Shekir. We're fighting lies. We're fighting Hashem's wars. We're fighting for the truth. That's the book of wars. Hashem made a Torah. Torah is only full of truth. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a lie. Anything that does not have a source in the Torah is a lie. Anything that's any good, anything that has any truth to it, must have a source in the Torah. Must. I'll give you guys an example. I had a chidush a few months ago, maybe a month or two ago. That was. For anyone doesn't have kids, he's not going to appreciate this. But uh, I read it in the Gemara; it was very interesting, and then connected to something. Now, who has kids? Has kids? 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 So, you have kids? So join me. So you have kids. You know, kids, you have to entertain them in different ways. To entertain them. So one of the things that kids like is like these different uh, shows and songs. Different ways to entertain kids. So one of the famous songs is If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You know that song? You guys probably heard it at some point, right? I think Sonny heard it in my house a thousand times. So what's the source of this song? This song is a popular song for many, many years. This chidush is going to show you something the opposite of what you could even imagine from this chidush. So this song says, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, say hooray. Right? And I see my little girl, Sarah. She does the whole thing and then you do all three. It's really, really cute. see a two-year-old do it. It's cute. See me. Almost 40 years old. Dude, it's not so cute. So what's the source to this? How Can I find this in the Torah? Amos, you think you can find this in the Torah?
2: Yes,
0: Because we're doing a chidush on it, so I have to find it in the Torah. So in the Gemara, Mu'ed Katan, page 27, it says this whole thing, where is it from? The book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, Chapter six, verse eleven. It says thus said Lord Hashem, clap with your hands, stomp with your feet and say Alas. So the Gemara says, What are they doing here? what is this? Clap your hand. He's telling ta- he's talking to the prophet. He's talking to the prophet. They say, clap your hands, stomp your feet, and say alas. Alas is not hooray. Alas is the opposite hooray. Say, it's like, oh. It's a cry. Like, help me, woe unto me. Oi. Pain. It's the opposite. The song today, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say hooray. In the Torah, it's the opposite. Clap your hands, stomp your feet, or woe unto me. Why? Because in the old days of the Torah, this was the ritual they would do when someone died. On the way when they're burying the body, that's what they would do. Woe unto us! Woe unto us! But the Goim changed it up a little bit and made it something that's negative into positive, made it illusion, an optical illusion. Everything like I told you in the beginning. Everything opposite in this world, even the song "Clap Your Hands." You understand? It's a good song, so it has to be in the Torah. It has to be in the Torah. So now, Rabbi Israel Misalant, Aleve Shalom. This book is mamash full of diamonds and gold. I mean, you see my book, it's just highlighted. The whole thing should be highlighted. There's no such thing as nothing highlighted in this book. Everything is highlighted. Explains here in the uh, page 76 when it says that all men are created equal. What does it really mean? We know we're not Moshe Rabbeinu. We know we're not Rabbi Akiva. We know you're almost on your own. We're all different levels. What does it mean all men are equal? What does it mean? It's a good question. I mean, it's a very, very common saying. No, everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. Everybody's equal. Whether you this you that you know the politically correct no no we're all equal right. we're all equal what do you mean but he's crippled he's not crippled he can run a mile in three minutes flat the other guy can't run what do you mean he's not he does not equal there's, not, there's nothing equal about them no no they're all equal should be treated equal why he's a rasha he's a tzaddik they shouldn't be treated equal he's a criminal he's bal chesed. shouldn't be treated the same what do you mean they're not equal so why is it Torah says all men were created equal. Why is it a mistake? It's a good question. Rabbi Israim is telling all of you and all of us something critical. All of us being equal means all of us have an opportunity to reach the same level of Yirat Shamayim. All of us have the same opportunity to reach Yirat Shamayim. All of us. Each in his own level, but each one of us has an opportunity to fulfill. The will of Hashem barach and Abirat Shamayim, Because that is the beginning of wisdom. That is the beginning of understanding the Torah that you have, the beginning of understanding what you're missing out on starts with Yirat Shamayim. Now why do we care so much about Yirat Shamayim? Why? Because of this. Each one of you is having your own struggles like me. Doing tshuva, stop doing things that are bad, stop doing things that Hashem doesn't like, stop being immodest, stop stealing, stop lying, stop cheating, stop wasting, stop doing things, stop sinning for heaven's sake. It's hard to stop. You're used to something, it's hard to stop. Especially if you thought that something makes you feel good. To stop it, it's tough. Someone that's married to a goyah, tell him, listen, leave her. It's hard. Someone that's used to wasting seed, his body is mamas, addicted to it like it's bigger than heroin. Tell him to stop. It's hard. Someone that goes parties with his friends every night at the club, tell him to stop. It's hard. Someone is used to stealing his whole life. That's what he does for a living. He's a thief. Tell him to stop because why well, I'm gonna go get a regular job. I made a million dollars a week. You want me to go make $50? You go make $50. It's hard. Rabbi Salam is telling you the only reason why you think it's hard is because you have no yirat mind. You have no yirat mind whatsoever. You have no idea what you're dealing with here. But let me give you some hope. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement from the Gemara and from Rambam to give you an idea of what you're dealing with. Because if we only deal with the fear, okay, we get you started. But you have to give somebody some hope. There has to be a treasure at the end. Now since you don't understand, and neither do I understand, the significance of the real treasure which is Torah. Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai all day told us, last two hours told us, the treasure is in your hand. Moshe Rabbeinu already has it for 3,300 years, but you still don't understand. You still don't understand that the Torah is treasure. You still don't understand. So until you understand what the Torah is, let me explain something to you. The Gemara Yemasekot Vachot, page 34B, says, Rabbi Abahu, Omer, Makom sheba'ale tshuva umdin, tzadikim gemurim enam umdin. Shneema, shalom, shalom, la v'l'karov. Rabbi Abbao says in a place of where Baaleh Tshuvah stand, meaning in Gan Eden, even someone that's completely righteous and never sinned, born with the striimo, with the hat, with the beard, already full grown. He already has a long jacket coming out of the body. He's ready. Never sinned. His whole life, Baal Tshuvah was a big wasting seed guy. Was a big mahlokit causer, big problems, all this, did serious tshuva, not even the same level. Where this Baal tshuva, this Mishkein, the guy that just did tshuva, 25, 30, 35 years old, did tshuva, 40 years old, Rabbi Akiva, where he's standing in Gan Eden. it's a different world from the guy that was religious from birth. Different world. And the Rambam in Ilchot Shuvah takes it a step further. He says a Baal Shuvah, where he stands, a completely righteous person is not even able to stand. The Gemara says, where the Baal Shuvah stands, the completely righteous don't stand. Baum says they can't stand there even if they want. They can never get there. If it's a serious Baal Shuvah, can't get there. Can't get there. Rabbi Akiva is a Baal Tshuva. Rabbi Akiva. Moshe Rabbeinu saw Rabbi Akiva and he said, Hashem, why are you giving me the Torah? Why are you giving me the Torah if you have Rabbi Akiva coming up soon? Why bother with somebody like me? You have Rabbi Akiva. He actually made alachot from looking at the letters. Looking at letters, the crowns on a few letters, the seven letters that have a crown on them. He looked at the letters made alachot from that. Understood alachot from a crown. We don't even know how to read Hebrew. He made alachot from the crown. Moshe Rabbeinu looked at this. I don't understand what he's saying. He got self-conscious until the end of the shiur. He says, oh, everything we learned Moshe Rabbeinu. Baal Chuvah at 40, didn't know Aleph Bed, didn't know Aleph Bed, didn't know nothing. Habib Eliza ben Alkinos, his rabbi. Baal Chuvah. Habib came from converts. All these giants of giants. Baal Chuvah. The one machloket that we have is some don't understand what is Rabban Yohanan says. No, it's not that the righteous are uh, not in the same level. You're misunderstanding it. It's the righteous are higher, and the wicked are further. Meaning, the righteous are higher as far as higher, closer to Hashem, and the wicked are further. But the Shlach Kadosh explains what Yochanan is saying. Since there's two types of tshuva, there's two types of tshuva. There's tshuva that's purely based on punishment. Your fear of punishment only. Big level. And then there's tshuva that escalates to a point where you get to a point of loving Hashem. Now, we learn from Rabbi Isaiah Nisalat and Shlomo Amalek and Gemara and Zohar and basic Alacha and basic five books of Moses that you can't get to love without fear. So it's not like there's somebody that skips the fear and goes straight to love. There's no such thing. But what the Shlai is saying here is that Rabban Yochanan is saying if the person stayed only afraid of Hashem, only afraid that Hashem will take away his money, only doing tefillin and netilat yadaim and all types of prayers and all types of things, just because he's afraid Hashem is going to take his money. He's afraid he's going to take his life. He's afraid he's going to get punished in one way or another. Demet Tzadik Gamu is higher than him. It's higher than him. But if the Baal Tshuva got to a point where he went even a higher level, he's not only afraid, but he actually fell in love with Hashem, meaning he fell in love with the Torah. Like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is talking to us, he discovered what the treasure is, even though it's been in front of him the whole time, but he actually realizes that the Torah is a treasure, yes, then he's higher. Then he's higher than Sadiq Why? Because he has a Yetzirah that goes against the Torah. The Sadiq doesn't have the Yetzirah. He doesn't have the same Yetzirah. It's different yitzara. He has the and he still st- chose Hashem. and That's why he discovered that the Torah is, is the treasure. The Tzadik never had the Yetzirah. So there's no actual machloket. They actually are just talking about two different things. The point being here for you guys and for me myself as well is this: with all the struggles that we fight with every single day—money, family, shemachem, all types of health issues, whatever—name the problem. Somebody here has it, if not all of us. Either watching or here. All types of problems. It's hard to fight all these demons. It's hard to fight all this Yetzirah when we still don't really know what the Torah is yet. Not all of us are loving the Torah. It's so sweet, it's so amazing, you want to eat it. We're not at that level all the time. And even if you know it, it's not always like that. Sometimes you want to rip your hair out of your head just to try to understand one alakha. One Midrash, one something, I don't know. What is he saying? Five hours I'm reading, I don't understand. What is he saying? What is, why can't you just write it in five words? What is he saying? That's what you get to solve for, for the five hours that you don't understand. You don't get, for the five minutes you understand. For the five hours you don't understand, that's what you get to solve for. That's what Amal Bat is. So now we don't know this yet. We don't have the sweetness of Torah yet. So it's hard to keep going, fighting the demons, fighting the Yetzirah all the time, all the Yetzirah. I got the girl, I got the guy, I got the money, I got this. All these shits are coming in different ways. It's hard to fight when you still don't know how great the Torah is yet. So until then, the Gemara, the Rambam, and of course Shemit Yitbarach, and what this Mishnah is telling us here. It's telling us, until you understand what treasure you have in your hand, just know, you have an opportunity to be Rabbi Akiva. You have an opportunity to be bigger than any giant you have that's been righteous his whole life. Why? Because you bowed up. And if that's not enough, there's something wrong with you. But for any normal person, just the opportunity to be so big, it's enough. You have an opportunity to... To be bigger than a tzaddik amur. You were rasha your whole life. Now you have an opportunity to be a tzaddik amur. You got to get out of jail free card 500 times. 30 years you're a sinner. Now you have a chance to be a tzaddik amur. A higher than tzaddik amur. That's not enough for you. And on top of it, eventually you're going to get the sweetness of Torah anyway. You understand? That's enough. Do they get discouraged from what? No, I think everybody has... Everybody has their own different battles. Um, the Yetzirah of somebody's from from birth is different than the Yetzirah of a Baal tshuva. Uh, And just because somebody's is from, from birth doesn't necessarily mean they cla- they're qualified to be considered... This righteous from birth. Righteous from birth means somebody had never sinned. Not from from birth. From from birth, just means you were born into a family that were fortunate. fortunate for, exactly. Everybody's a Baal tshuva. Somebody is a from from birth. If he's really really righteous, he'll consider himself a Baal tshuva. The more righteous somebody is, the more they realize that they're a Baal tshuva also. That's the reality. Because if if you read the Gemara, you read you read what the Chazal says. You're supposed to do tshuva every single day. Because there's no such thing as a righteous person who doesn't sin. But nonetheless, somebody that was born into a frum family has a different yetzirah, has a different tshuva he has to do. He's not doing the same tshuva as some of us are doing it, because maybe he didn't make the same sins, or maybe he did. Listen, some of these people that were so-called frum from birth that I used to see in casinos, they're, they have a much worse tshuva than any of us. Because they did a sin that most of us didn't even know was a sin. They did chilu Hashem. You understand? So, again, just because somebody wears a hat and, a, and has a beard doesn't necessarily mean that they're a righteous person. It just means that you know yeah. they have a hat and a beard. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, i give you an example. When I was born, my mother told me that I did not cry up uh, And I remember to this day that what did I do again that I had to be reborn again here? And I was so pissed that I had to give you that and, and I was a child. In
0: fact, I was just warned. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, you talked about, uh, you said like that the hedge fund manager, of the traders, they will to be like 24 hours around the clock. Ken. But let's say the guy, Hashem says, this is, he's going to make $10 million. Yeah. Why can't he just work at 9 to 5? He'll get his $10 million. Why does he have to work from 9 to 9?
0: The hedge fund manager? Why can't he work 9 to 5?
2: Yeah. Why does he have to work 24 hours around the clock? If, he,
0: like if you have a muna, you, you only need to work eight hours and get the same type of money.
2: If you have a Munai, you
0: don't have to work. And you
1: could get that type of money?
0: Sure, why not? I Moshe Rabbinu never went. You ever you see a, story. You, a see, you, you actually remember the parasha that said that Moshe Rabenu used to go work at GE? No. Remember that parasha? Sani, you remember the parasha where Moshe Rabenu used to work for Cisco?
1: <laughs> you don't
0: remember parasha? You remember Parashat Moshe Rabbeinu used to work for Qualcomm,
1: yeah. Google? No, he was a chef. Chef? Yeah.
0: Nothing. Never worked. Why? How did he become multimillionaire?
2: Billionaire.
0: How? Shem decided. Shem decided you could be
2: millionaires.
0: Mi- <laughs> Irrelevant. Point is, Hashem decided you could be rich. You could be rich. That's it. Shem has to decide somebody to be rich. Why
2: are these guys working 24 hours a day when they could work 8 hours a day and get to save
0: money? You're asking me their life question? You have to ask them. Anybody, anybody,
2: Whatever.
0: listen, everybody has a different mission. We're not saying that no one is allowed to work. You're allowed to work as far as how much you work and what's the priorities in your life, that obviously is based on emuna. But, I don't know, I don't, the people that I mentioned that were major hedge fund managers are not religious Jews. Some of them are Jews, but they're not definitely not religious Jews. Um, But nonetheless, again, it's a uh, Different people work, different schedules Have different priorities, have different missions in their life What we're trying to say Is that if you're doing Anything other than full-time Torah Then obviously you don't understand the significance of Torah And even if you do Understand to some extent the significance Of Torah um, Obviously you don't understand it fully If you're you're spending any other time doing anything else Doesn't necessarily mean you're not allowed To do anything else it's just means that you don't understand what the significance of Torah is. You're leaving billions for five bucks. Yeah. Yep. Had the hand up. Faked up? Faked it? No, go ahead. How do you get a
2: point where you have them not you don't have to work at all and have Hashem take
0: care of us? <laughs> well, first you have to do the will of Hashem. Hashem says He's giving you 24 hours a day. Out of the 24 hours a day, you have to dedicate as much of the 24 hours a day to Him as humanly possible. That means... Anytime you're not working, we learn from this Mishnah. The answer to your question is this Mishnah. Anytime you're not working, you're learning Torah. Which means, if you have a job, you work eight hours a day, okay? Then that means that you still have 16 hours left. If, let's say, you sleep, I don't know, six, seven hours, how much do people, I mean, some people sleep eight hours, I don't think that's normal. I sleep five hours Even though it's like, you know, children sleep eight hours, but, you know, most people sleep less, five, six, seven hours, eight. You know, if you sleep eight, sleep eight, fine. Let's say you sleep eight. You still have eight hours left. You work eight, you sleep eight. That means at the very least, you know, you got to do a few of your own things. Go to the bathroom, eat, drink, whatever, be with the family. Let's say that's two, three hours. That means at the very least, you should study five hours a day. Very, very least. Very least. In reality, you should study more than that. You should study as much as you work. Listening to lectures is good, but it's at at up to a point. Meaning, if you're in the beginning of your tshuva, listening to a lecture all day, definitely, it's fuel for the soul. But as you progress with your tshuva, it's not going to give you the same impact. As long as you're getting a major impact from lectures, you continue listening. But eventually, your neshama is going to want more. Because the uh, Gemara also says that Samachayim, the drug of life, what is it? Also Torah. But it's also Samamavit. it. The same Gemara says, Samah Chaim and is the same Torah. Both of them are Torah. Why? Samah if you know what the Torah is, i will give you life. But if you mistreat the Torah, i will destroy you. So it can be a drug of life, a drug of death. So now, if you're fulfilling the will of Hashem, you're studying Torah non-stop, eventually your Neshama is going to want more than just me speaking. Or Rav Mizrahi speaking, or Rav Elon Nava speaking, or Rav anybody else speaking, it's going to want you to open up the actual Torah itself and find out why does Rava say something different than Rashi? Why does uh, you know Abaya disagree with Ravah? Why is uh, you know Rabbi Salant quoting this specific Gemara instead of a different Gemara, and so on and so forth? So I want you to dig in the books. It's not going to be enough. It's always good to have a little bit of lecture from time to time, especially when you can't study. Like, for example, when you're in a car, you you can't read a book when you're in a car. You know, you're on a plane. Sometimes it's hard to be focused on a plane. People are making noise and so on. It's good. You put a lecture, put headphones, put a lecture on. No problem. But when you're home, you have your desk, stuff like that, at some point you have to start opening some books. Why? Because the schal... The only way you could really get the real reward and the only way you could really truly identify the Torah for what it really is is by opening the books. As much as I would love for you guys to listen to every single lecture I'm ever going to make and ever made, the reality of of the purpose of what we do here is to get you ignited, to turn on the fire. It's up to you from there. You have to, you can't, this can't be your only shul torah the whole week. You know, you have to take it further. You have to go home, open some books, break your head a little bit, learn some halachot, learn some mitzvot, learn some uh, uh, gemara, some shulchan aruch, some other things, some chumash. You have to learn everything else. Yeah. What
2: if you like read about like a rabbi wrote? Like
0: Repeat that again. Like,
2: what if you read about like that a rabbi room?
0: It's not like tomorrow. Say that like again. That is also good. It's similar to a shiur, similar level to a shiur. Um, And eventually, as you get deeper and deeper into Torah, your neshama is going to want more in order to have the same impact. So, for example, I'll give you guys an example. When I first started doing tshuva, the uh, initial books uh, that we read were a book called Anatomy of a Search, uh, The uh, Coming Revolution, uh, and I think uh, also a book called Shabbat. Uh, Shabbat is actually one of the books we give in our lectures. It's a book that was written, I think, in the 1950s. And Bo Hashem, they recently started reprinting it again. It's a classic. It gives you short stories about Shabbat. And also, Coming Revolution is the same thing as uh, Science Comes of Age, the Rabbi Zamir Cohen book. Uh, Anatomy of a Search is Someone That Found the Truth. Uh, Rav uh, Tatz. Tatz, I think, wrote it, something like that. Phenomenal books. So those are the first few books we read. And then we started reading some other books from Rabbi Twersky and uh, uh, some other people that wrote. And it were all relatively soft stuff. Like nice, enjoyable. And I got, you know, wow, I got a chizuk from it. Start, you know, also listened to some lectures, learned with Rabbi Frying. But after a little while, it didn't have as much of an impact on me anymore. Not that it didn't have a impact on me. It didn't have the... Wow! Now you don't get desensitized. It's just like you want... You you were going... Initially, when you first get that reaction, the first beautiful taste, it's amazing. And it's like, it's still good, but it's like you want to be amazing again. And you know you have to jump a little further. You know you have to move a little further to get to be amazing again. To, be, to get that feeling again. So I started to learn... The, I took the five books of Moses took the Torah and I started learning verse by verse so I would write down a verse verse Torah and I would write as many possible questions I could possibly make on each verse each verse by verse and I would have the conversation I would prepare the questions ahead of time I would read what Rashi wrote uh, or you know, commentary and ask uh, Rabbi Fraim, what does he mean by this why is this contradicted by the 6th verse by the 7th verse by the 8th verse and I started to do that and it was very very stimulating to see how much depthness went into one verse. like It's unbelievable, especially Bereshit. Bereshit is like unbelievable, by the way. You could spend a lifetime just learning the first ten verses. A lifetime. So I started doing that. I started reading the commentary. And again, it got better. It got better. I started doing some things about it. And then eventually I started learning Gemara. And I wanted to well, Mamash jump off a bridge for a little while uh, because the Gemara was very, very difficult for me. I mean it would take me six and a half hours to read one duff. And I just didn't understand how am I ever going to finish this Shas, this giant thing that's you know over 2,600 dapim. It took me six and a half hours to read one duff. And people are doing duff you mean like how are they doing duff you mean? One hour? You know people go to a bignesset. They went to the Rabbi One hour they finished duff How? How will you finish one duff in one hour? like "Rip my hair out of my head Like how? How can you finish a whole duff in one hour? It took me six and a half hours I'm not stupid Like I just didn't understand How could it be? It's not like I'm reading it in Hebrew And trying to understand the Hebrew or the Aramaic I'm reading it in English And the Hebrew Like I'm reading both It just was really tough And I wanted to quit a million times But you just keep going And you keep going And listen Eventually it starts sweetening and then you start reading some Midrashim, some Me'am Loez, and little by little you get to a point where you get addicted. And little by little you know that you're addicted when everything else becomes meaningless. More and more of regular life around you becomes meaningless. Not that I'm at some Ramah, don't make a big deal out of this or anything, I'm not nothing. It's just that at some point the world around you becomes meaningless money, girls, food, whatever. All this stuff becomes stuyo. It becomes just complete nonsense. I mean, of course, I had my own tests and I continue having tests every day. Don't think that I'm just sitting there at home and just like this, like some Ruach HaKodesh next to me studying with me. Eliyahu Anavi is not coming to study with me or anything. have just that, you know, I'm past where I was when I first started. But it's not the same. Hopefully I get much, much higher level. I still have worlds to go. But the point I'm trying to tell you is that I knew from my own experience the whole point of the whole story is I knew from my experience that in order for me to get that feeling that I got first time from a lecture or from my story that Robert Fryden told me or from a book that I just started reading i take it a step further. i take it another step further and another step further and another step further. And it's just seemed very, very similar to when I worked out. When I was a kid I used to be on a football team and I was very, very um, muscular. Uh, especially when I was 17, 18 years old it was like a Mini gorilla, uh, and um, the main thing that I guess I was willing to do that most people didn't weren't willing to do is I kept challenging my body. I kept carrying more weight than somebody my size was supposed to carry. I was kept challenging. If I failed, I failed, but I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, and. Uh, I mean at some point I was able to squat over 800 pounds, which is for somebody my size is absolutely not normal. Uh, so the point being is that I knew that in order for me to get to the next level, each time I had to keep putting more weight. So it started when I first started lifting weights, I could barely lift the bar, which is 45 pounds. I was a tiny little kid, a little scrawny little kid, I was barely able to pick up the bar. Eventually it became 100 pounds, eventually it's 130 pounds, eventually it's 200 pounds. And then you keep building and building and building, and little by little you become a little monkey and a little gorilla, and eventually you're you it. you're a little monster. But how do you become a little monster? You become a monster by challenging yourself. Kalbachomer okay, okay. in the spiritual world, Kalbachomer in the business world. In the business world, the secret to success was nothing else. I wasn't smarter than the whole world. I wasn't funnier than the whole world. I wasn't more charismatic than the whole world. There's plenty of charismatic, smart people that are broke. The difference is I was willing to challenge myself and make myself uncomfortable in order to reach comfort. You want to succeed in life? Get used to being uncomfortable. No one wants to be uncomfortable in this generation. Everybody wants convenience. Everyone wants everything spoon-fed to them. Everyone expects to press a button and the food arrive, to press a button and the girl arrives, to press a button and the husband arrives, to press a button and Mashiach arrives, to press a button and Etfila arrives. Everybody wants to press a button, and everything is done for them. Reality, you wanna achieve something in life that's meaningful? Stop pressing buttons. Get off your butt and start doing something about it. Open a book, run, do something. Stop pressing buttons. Because you wanna you wanna really Get something done in life. You have to fold off your, you know, fold your sleeves and get your hands dirty. You have to challenge yourself, and that's the thing that most people are just not willing to do. I used to leave the house at five o'clock in the morning and arrive at one thirty in the morning from work. And all the guys, the same guys that were hanging out the night before, were hanging out the night after drinking beers at 1.30 in the morning. And they would tell me, "Where are you coming from every night?" I'm like, "Work." Like, Why do you work so much? I, said, I don't know. I want to be successful. What's that? I didn't understand the question I would ask myself why are you drinking every night how many 40s can you possibly drink you're 25 years old stop drinking but whatever I just minded my business eventually they ended up being losers and I ended up becoming a multimillionaire but the point is is that you have to challenge yourself All these self-help gurus, whether it's Tony Robbins or these other guys that are out there, they're not selling you anything that's like some mystical story or some secret. They're just telling you to get off your butt. Do something. That's it. Do something that's gonna make you uncomfortable. If I wanted to go into business, that's what I would do. I wouldn't go into actual business. I'd just start teaching people how to make money, how to be more productive. But I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in saving souls because that's going to actually help you for eternity, not just this life. So the point being is that if you want to be get used to making yourself uncomfortable. Get used to sacrificing. I spoke to somebody earlier today, he asked me, how could I be a Talmud Chacham? And we went over a Mishnah, which we're going to go over in a couple of months. It's in the uh, fifth or sixth chapter of the Perkei Avot. And it talked about the 48 different types of sacrifices that you should get used to on a day-to-day basis. Not just once in your life. 48 different sacrifices that you have to get used to on a day-to-day basis. Used to. Like, you're used to breathing, you don't forget to breathe. You don't forget to eat. You don't forget to sleep. No, right? So those sacrifices, 48 of them. Get used to them. You want to be a chacham. So you want to be you're going to have to start making, getting used to sacrifice you can't make all the sacrifices in one day you have to get there same thing with success in business same thing with success in marriage same thing with success in physical same thing with success in anything get used to being uncomfortable if you're looking to be a couch potato you're going to be a loser for the rest of your life you will never achieve anything you started a couch potato you're going to die a couch potato Maybe just a potato because the couch is probably going to leave and the dude get a job. <laughs> the couch is going to get tired of you and he's going to get a job. And saying, get off me already. I want somebody else's tush. No? Something else. More questions. Yeah. Um, I
2: forgot to ask him. That's what I'm asking. Tell him. but you know, to the highest level spiritually in right? One of the highest levels in Sosem that he Alachot,
0: we don't go by him
2: except Alachot Shabbat. Mm-hmm. What's the reason that they only do the
0: Alachot Shabbat and not other Alachot? Well, I mean, there's, a, there's other sages out there that got more more expertise than he was. Uh, like, for example, anytime Rabban Gamliel is mentioned, Alachakir Rabban Gamriel. Anytime Rabbi Akiva, most of the time it's Rabi Akiva. So just because somebody going by him doesn't mean there's no rule of thumb. It's not like a that's it. Also, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong either. Like Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, most of the time we go with Bet Hillel. But that doesn't necessarily mean, or it absolutely doesn't mean, that Bet Shammai is always wrong. They're not always wrong. As a matter of fact, they say that after Mashiach comes, most of the time we're going to go with Bet Shammai. So why are we going with Bet Hillel? Because Hashem created both of them. Hashem created both sides. It's not about necessarily a single truth. Sometimes Hashem gave multiple choice as it, but All of them are right All of them are right But the point was for you to toil in Torah To get to the truth It wasn't to get to the end The toiling is the mitzvah Not the end The end is multiple choice If Hashem wanted you to do black or white You just make black, that's it If you want, Hashem wanted you to just keep Shabbat one way Just say, keep Shabbat, one, two, three, finished But He didn't do it He left certain things to us he left certain things for the sages to understand, for the Puskim to explain to us. Why? Because he left some things for us so we could study with it. Because if the Torah was black and white, it was just one, two, three, nobody would study it. It'd be boring. It'd be just like an instruction manual like school, like you know, high school and uh, and junior high school. Most kids don't like it. And the reason why is because it's boring. It's not mentally stimulating. You learn it. You just have to memorize the test. As soon as you finish passing the test, you could delete it from your brain. You're never going to use it again in your life. It's completely worthless. Completely. Your history class, European history, art history, this history, that history, most of it is completely useless. As a matter of fact, most of college is completely useless. What's useful? Your last year. Why? Because it gets you into grad school. And what's useful in grad school? The end experience also. In reality, you can finish college and grad school and everything and high school all maybe two years. Maybe two years worth of real learning. Maybe. But if it was only two years worth of real learning, they wouldn't make $50,000 a year for eight years. Understand? Same thing with books. Most books that are written today, in any subject, in reality, the whole story, whether it's based on, I don't know, poem or stories, or whatever it is, the whole book, probably write in 16 pages. 16, 20, 25 pages max. So how does he have 500 pages, a 1,000 page book? How does Stephen King every year pop out a 1,000 page book like it's nobody's business? How does all these authors come out with a 1,000 page book? You can write the whole story in 15 pages. Because you wouldn't pay 15 $20 for a 15 page book. But something with a thousand pages looks mechubad. Looks, ah, it's worth at least twenty bucks. Yeah. Just the paper is worth that much. Just you understand? Just to have it on your on your uh, on your shelf makes you look smart. It's worth twenty bucks to look smart. So it's all fake. It's all fakeness. But the point being is that it's a in in Torah is different. Torah couldn't have been written in less words. Torah couldn't be written in more words. So, why is the Torah Hashem put it together? The oral Torah, on the other hand, is endless. But the point being is that we have Hashem made all of it alive to show that the Torah comes to life. So, everything comes to life. You see that he's right and he's right. And that's why sometimes the Bet Shema and Bet Hilal used to, their fights used to be very heated, they would get physical. Not because they were sinners, Chash V'Shalom. They got to a point because both of them were very, very passionate about what they were doing. And both of them believed that what they are doing, their side is Kiddush Hashem, while the other side is Chilul Hashem. So it's not like, I'm right and he's wrong and I want to show him. No, it's not that. It's that I am doing it the right way, he's doing it the wrong way. I am honoring Hashem, he's desecrating Hashem. And someone is desecrating Hashem, and they want to beat him up. Because the only reason why I'm doing all of this is to honor Hashem. How can you dare desecrate my Hashem? They fight for Hashem, not for themselves. Not
2: the kids
0: so, Right, exactly. So point being is that you have different things that Hashem left for the sages. So that's why sometimes you'll see conflicting opinions in the beginning before I started learning Torah. I'm like, uh, I said to myself, how could, it, how could I learn a Torah where... These rabbis don't even know what they, what they want. One guy has this opinion, another guy has another opinion. When they get to an opinion, then tell me. I'll keep that. That's not the Torah. The Torah is to get to it. That's the gold. That's the platinum. That's the diamond. That's the priceless. That's infinity. That's priceless. That's what Rabbi Shimon was talking about. That's the Alvat Hashim that he was talking about. You understand? You have a question, Sonia. I know you have a question. This? Double CD Each one, 30 hours And there's two CDs We have a um, We got 50,000 of them We're already almost halfway through So we have to raise some money To get another 50,000 But each one of these has, has 30 hours It's about 60 hours worth of Torah Anyone that needs to do chuba By the time you finish 60 hours You should probably be already on your way a um, lot of inspiring stories, short lectures, long lectures, stuff that you have in your car, in your iPods, iPhones, I this, and I that, even though everything is online, this is very easy that it's already set up for you. It was well made. Bo Hashem we had Vimesh put certain things together and Bo uh, Hashem we had a uh, joint effort with a lot of different people to put this stuff together. And uh, we're trying to send them out all over the place. But one thing that I uh, actually was going to announce tomorrow, but since you already reminded me, I'm going to say it now. Um, We had a major success in this uh, movie that just came out, the Shabbat film. I don't know if all of you saw it, but it's a 17-minute movie about Shabbat in a way that I don't think has ever been shown before. Uh, Even though Rabbi Mizrahi has obviously his own Shabbat movie that he had, this is a different way of doing it. Um, and Baruch Hashem, we've had some great feedback on it um, And uh, a lot of views We've we'll also made clips out of it But point I'm trying to say is that In celebration of the big success of all these movies we've had Especially the recent Shabbat movie Which was like a 9 month project uh, Endless effort We have a sponsor for 5,000 CDs 5,000 CDs But he's looking for somebody to give them out so what we decided is that we're going to give them out 100 at a time to different communities, different places, not, all, not uh, 500 or 1,000 at once, but 100 at a time. So different communities, anybody that lives in different places, then you know, give 100. The only requirement you have is send me your name, your address, we'll send them to you, and make sure that you have your phone with you so you take a picture of when you put the CDs, we'll send you 100 CDs right away. I want to give out 5,000 CDs ASAP so we can spread out the Torah anywhere. does not matter just America, anywhere you are, we'll send it to you. But point being is that you uh, obviously need to have watched the Yeshua for the last couple of hours to know. Uh, but the key is, this is a celebration. We want to spread the Torah because the CDs sitting in our warehouse is not doing us any good. People are not doing chihuahua for CDs sitting in a warehouse. So we give them out for free. We also have a lot of other projects in the works where Baruch Hashem, we have a uh, gift from Shemaim that's able to do many things. Uh, so a lot of different other projects are in the works. We have a, a websites in the works, app, uh, app in the work, a tour in the works, uh, a lot of things that cost a lot of money. We just, Baruch Hashem, sent a bunch of money to Avraham in uh, Jerusalem. Um, and a lot of things that cost a lot of money, uh, but somehow Hashem provides. You know, if... Um, you know, that's, that's really what it comes down to. So anyone that wants to be a partner is more than welcome to do it. But either way, if you don't have money, you don't have things, you have time, send me an email. I'll send you CDs. I'll send you 100 CDs. You can give them out in 10 minutes because it's 50 of these pretty much, because each one is two. You give them out. You put, you know, 10 in five different places. You put 10 in your shul, 10 in a kosher store, 10 in a kosher market, 10 in, a, I don't know, JCC or some type of Jewish center. And ten in your school or wherever it is, you finished it. Five minutes. Each person does Chubat through you, just putting the CD on the table. You have yourself a lama. So when they ask you in Shaman why you didn't do Kirib, you won't have any excuses because they're gonna say, listen, you couldn't put it. You got the CD for free. Okay, your excuse is you didn't have any money. Okay, now you have. Now you don't have to have money. All you have to do is just take a CD, put it on the table. You put it on the table. Can you handle putting it on the table? You can handle that That You can handle? Okay, now you can do Kirif. So, oh Hashem, the team is amazing. Team Hashem has never been better. The team is amazing. They spread the message all over Facebook, all over Twitter, all over different places. People from all over the world are watching the shiurim. Uh I mean, you have some people on the team that are so passionate. I'm jealous of them. I'm jealous of their Allah. They don't stop spreading Torah. They take my shulim, Rab Mizrahi shulim, and they just... They put it all over the place. They have competitions between them. So who's going to spread more Torah? It's amazing. It's never been easier to do Kiruv. Never been easier to do Kiruv. But you also have some serious key players on the team that are doing bigger projects. Each person does a different project. The point being is that anybody, can, everybody can contribute to Kiruv. And this is the, the, the point of all of what I'm saying here is aside from reminding everyone to do Kiruv, is that anyone that wants to really get to this Expedite their journey to sweetness of Torah Do Kiruv That's the secret to the success You can do it two ways You can do, learn Torah the old fashioned way Learn hard work and so on Or you could speed up the process a little bit Take special care of Hashem's children Taking extra time to do Kiruv You take extra time every day to do Kiruv You'll learn a lot more than anybody else in a shorter period of time. This is the only way that I or my Rav or anybody else that knows anything could explain why I'm over here teaching when I wasn't even a Shomer Shabbat a few years ago. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that rabbis call me, text me, email me, and tell me that they like Meshurim. doesn't make any sense. It's not. It has nothing to do with me. Don't say I'm smart. Don't say I'm anything. Hashem can take my wisdom like that. Hashem can take the, uh, the anything. The speech, the charm, the this, all that stuff is all has nothing to do with me. All it has to do with, I love Hashem, I love His people, I get I you, that's it. So Hashem says, listen, if you repeat the same thing over and over again, no one's going to watch you. And no one's going to do tshuva. So, we have to give you some more Torah. So next time you learn one Gemara page, I'll give you six pages. Anything else? Baruch Adonai Amen, Ve'Amen. mitzvot.
2: Here okay.